Hello, listeners. You are about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans, and it is led by myself and my co-host, Travis. I'm what you would call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride through the 2022 MLB offseason lockout. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. It is episode 41. Alex and I are coming to you this Wednesday night. It's December 15th, around 5, 10 p.m. Uh, Alex, we're still in lockout mode again. We are, unfortunately. I feel like a broken record saying that. Uh, every single episode, it's going to be that way. <laughs> Hopefully until you know after New Year's, we can get back to some action. I know Twitter is staying very hot on all the off-season kind of news and, you know, hot stove rumors. Yeah, everyone just everyone just kind of going for whatever they can grab. I see most of, like, the baseball Twitter content people are, like, having discussions about, like, you know, who's my best first baseman right now and, like, just different, like, random conversations because there's so little to talk about in terms of, like, the current events. Definitely, and I know I'm always uh, DMing you uh, scenarios and people yeah. that i want to see in free agent targets yeah in angels red uh so yeah i i hear a lot of news and i i some of it i hope is true some of it i hope is not true but uh yeah so pretty much still the same thing uh kind of making these fun little teams for the past couple of weeks i know people even on twitter are making like just coming up with different scenarios on different everything you know i think people yeah. are honestly focused right now for hall of fame talk so yeah i see barry bonds clips every single day i see right. tons of other clips every single day so we're coming to you for another episode of the All MLB teams. And now, Alex, we are shifting to the National League. So today's cool. episode will be the NL West. We didn't have anything else to talk about, right? No no breaking news, no Korean League, uh, Japanese League guys, no? Don't think so. I mean, there probably was a small, tiny tidbit here and there. I, oh, I heard the Phillies like acquired some like minor league. Uh, like They signed some guys in minor league deals, including former Angel Cambridge Rosian, amongst oh, wow, other okay. people. But like... All, all we're going to see right now is these minor league signings, um, which, you know, for the time being is not really uh, enough to warrant much of an intro, I'd say. So yeah, we, can, we, can, we can kick it off with the meat, I'd say. It, it's It was fun kind of in the beginning. Now it's just... We're hungry for more. <laughs> so yeah, we'll come to you guys for the uh, first, yeah, ever episode on the NL, yep. NL side of things. So a uh, lot of history again here. Uh, the NL West... I think it really is two teams that have been there for many, many years and yeah. then three teams that are somewhat very, very recent. So two different stories compared to when we look at like the AL East or the AL Central too as well. All the teams there are feel like they're just over 100 years old and they're just classic. So uh, Alex, we'll jump right into it and we will start with the team that won 107 games and won the division. We'll start with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, again, coming to you guys, we're going to go through catching all the way to the outfield. No DH this time. We're actually going to be doing the DH spot for the division teams. But me and Alex both agreed. We thought let's not do the DH for the actual franchise teams. Right. We'll keep we'll keep the same rules. 
maybe in a couple months with the new uh, agreements, there'll be an NLDH. So Quite possibly. Uh, yeah, so we can remake some of these teams or at least add on one slugger that should have been on the list. But uh, starting with the Giants, go through the catching, through the outfield, go through the five starting pitchers, and then go to the closer uh, for all that. But Alex, a little bit of information on the Giants. They're 139 years old. So they actually started way back in 1883 as the New York Gotham's. Wow, that's pretty. Cool. That's cool. Pretty cool name, honestly. I, I'm I'm kind of upset they don't have it still. But uh, 1883 to 1884 only lasted one year. They were the Gotham's. Then they changed their name in 1885 to the New York Giants. That's kind of been their uh, name. I think the most of their history. The New York Giants, 1885 to 1957. Then, of course, they made the move to San Francisco and became the San Francisco Giants all the way up to, of course, today. Uh, so 1958 to 2021, they have been in San Francisco. Uh, so, Alex, we will start with the catching position with the Giants. I'll go first. I know you went first last time. This one cool. uh, had to do a little bit of research, but it came out to be pretty easy. Uh, it's Buster Posey. Mm -hmm. uh, retired a couple months back, and his numbers are just truly special as a catcher with his batting average, MVP, and also just being a pure winner. If you want to look at so many different things and criteria for these lists, Buster Posey, I feel like, crosses off a bunch of them. So he is my catcher. Alex, who do you got? Yeah, Travis, it has to be Buster Posey. There's no one else that's really close. He has all, like, the best war seasons for catchers for uh, the, the both the New York and San Francisco Giants. The MVP helps. The World Series rings help. But just the numbers alone offensively and also just being a reliable backstop. It's pretty easy. Um, obviously, just recently retired. And this last season of 2021 with the 140 OPS plus, over 300 average, uh, 23 doubles, 18 homers, a very solid season. Um, got actually MVP votes, 21 in MVP voting. Like that year just was the uh, cherry on top to kind of say, okay, this guy is for sure a high-level Hall of Famer and this guy is for sure uh, the all-time Giants catcher. So It really reminds me of... Uh David Ortiz's last year, almost having, uh, I wouldn't say career year, but he had a one year his, that was one of his career years, a crazy bounce back from the way he was trending. You know, I think he, he took off 2020 for COVID and then came back and was just an absolute beast. Definitely looked like he needed that time off to really heal his body and get ready for the 2021 season. And he did. And now, of course, he'll be uh, on the list in about five years for Cooperstown. And I'm pretty sure he'll be a first ballot, if not a second or third ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, for Buster Posey. So that is our catcher. Alex will go now to the right side of the infield. And for me, two big names on the Giants squad. For me, first base is going to be Willie McCovey. And second base, I have Jeff Kent. Willie McCovey, over 500 home runs. OPS, I believe, for his Giants career is a 900 OPS career. So played, of course, a ton of years with the Giants and was very, very successful. Jeff Kent, possibly one of the best power-hitting second basemen ever to play the game. His name is on the ballot currently, uh, really vouching for him. We'll talk about that also in January. But uh, Jeff Kent has to be on the list. Like I said, the power, uh, also an MVP to his name. I think it was 2000 when he won. Actually edged out his teammate, Barry Bonds, uh, and, and was a guy that was batting in front of Barry Bonds uh, a lot. So Talk about getting a lot of free runs. Exactly. Exactly. So Jeff Kent is the second baseman. Alex, who do you have for your right side? 
Yeah, right side, Travis, you said it perfectly. It has to be McCovey and it has to be Kent. Um, there are some other names I looked at. Uh, one guy who really caught my eye was like Roger Connor, who was played in the 1800s. So he's kind of disqualified from our exercise. We're really focusing on 1900 and onwards. You know, some people when they make these lists, they want to only look at like the integration era, but we like that history. Yeah. We don't want to go too far back to where it's hard to even say what were they playing back then. It was like before the Dead Ball era. There was like some other game entirely almost. Um, but yeah, essentially, Travis, uh, the numbers support those picks exactly. The McCovey pick, he has some really monstrous seasons. Uh, he did a good job of, of accumulating important stats. Like oh, like you said, over 500 home runs. That's an important club. He was an easy Hall of Famer. Like He just coasted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Six-time All-Star. But the MVP season he had with a 209 OPS+. Plus, this was in 1969, which is the first season after the year of the pitcher when they essentially shifted to um they shifted to being uh like they changed some rules essentially because 68 yep. uh bob gibson goes crazy and then uh amongst other pitchers and so they really changed things up to make it more balanced uh they think they lower the mound and they they uh, shrink the strike zone and mccovey would just thrive that season with a 320 batting average 453 on base percentage almost as uh or a 656 slugging he really is like when you're over a 1.1 for that kind of time with those kind of pitchers in that kind of era, it's just a monster season for sure. So he was a huge home run, uh, easy pick for first base. And then second base, Travis, um, there were some other options I looked at too. Um, Larry Doyle I had written down for a while because he's like, I think he edges out Kent on a war. Yeah. But just looking at like the peak seasons, I think that Kent, you know, the, he has a great case. Currently on the Hall of Fame uh, ballot, of course. Uh, that'll be a fun discussion in January because he's one of these guys, Travis. We talked about it before, but the Hall of Fame ballot, you get 10 votes, and there's probably more than 10 guys I want to vote for. So he's going to be in that fringe, honestly, where like there's guys who are like locks for me, and then he's on the thing where I want him to be a Hall of Famer, but we have to use our votes wisely kind of thing. So it'll be an interesting conversation when we get there. But at the end of the day, he is my also my second baseman for this team for sure. Um, and that pretty much covers the right side. Pretty easy picks, I think. It does. It does. And we'll shift now to the left side, Alex. I'll let you go first. Shortstop, third base, Giants. Okay, so I will say that for shortstop and third base, there's some guys who played some different positions, but they also play these positions where I put them. A lot of versatility with some of these guys. So my third baseman, I'll start off by saying I have Frankie Frisch, I think is how you say it. Um, so Frankie Frisch... Uh, 38 war as a giant and i believe he if i'm not mistaken he played both second base and third base so okay. I, I was looking at him uh for the kent spot as well but i said no kent has the edge on this guy but um yeah frankie frisch someone who may not have a lot of you know buzz or people might not know his name but he played in the 1920s and 1930s uh about half his career 11 years with st louis but a good eight years with the new york giants had a 116 OPS plus. Um, he's a Hall of Famer, and you know he played half his. He's an MVP award. He played half his career with the Giants. Um, so yeah, he gets the nod for me for third base. And then I ended up using my shortstop spot on Matt Williams. So very nice. It was definitely an interesting kind of thing there because he was not his primary position, but he played about a season's worth of games throughout his Giants career at the shortstop position. So because of that. Um, he had to get the spot for me. His numbers, honestly, Travis, I mean, you know, I know a lot about like, you know, the notoriety he has for like, you know, he had some really great seasons and like that buzz he has, but you know, a lot of the numbers aren't like 
super, super mind-blowing. But when you think about him as a shortstop instead of a third baseman, the 122 OPS plus as a giant for me just completely, you know, sells it. There's no one that's close to that number. Um, he had a really great uh, short ni- 1995 season. That, that, that I think that was a strike season, right? Yes. So because of that, um, didn't get to, you know, flush out his MVP, you know, run that he was trying to get. But anyways, Travis, those are my two picks. Talk to me who you got and we'll talk. Yeah, so Matt Williams is actually on my list as well. He is going to be my third baseman. Got it. Um, and I, 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 you might have said I, maybe it was 94 was actually the strike season. I go okay. back. Uh, so yeah, played actually 112 games. I think everyone played 112 games. So about 100% of the season. Uh, it does suck, of course, that he had to, uh, you know, have a shortened 94 season and then 95 probably battled with some injuries and uh, only played 76 games, but had a monstrous uh, 1995 season in only those 76 games. Uh, really, really impressive. But yeah, you're right. He did come up. He actually came up as a shortstop and uh, then, of course, got moved over to third base. So Matt Williams was my third baseman for the Giants. My shortstop, Alex, I actually went with Travis Jackson. Uh, Travis Jackson playing in the 1920s and also 1930s, 15 years all with the New York Giants. Numbers, hitting numbers, I'll tell you this, are not very impressive. Right. A 291 average is probably the only thing that's really, really impressive. Only had a 770 OPS and a 102 OPS plus during that time. He had a very league average hitting stat, hitting line. Yeah. And so um, that, of course, was one big consideration. I wanted to try to find someone, of course, with better hitting. But overall, looking at it, he ranks in the top 30 all time of defensive war. So he wow. was a defensive juggernaut. Probably would have won, I mean, 10 gold gloves as they had the gold glove award back then. Uh, so for the Giants, was a defensive juggernaut, also a Hall of Famer, uh, 44 career war. He definitely ranks, I think he's 12th all-time in Giants war. So really, really impressive with that. Uh, he played shortstop and third base. And funny thing is, Matt Williams played third base and some shortstop, so you can really flip-flop him around. But yeah, uh, I'll take the defensive guy at shortstop to just be my go-to guy. You know, Sure, so, yeah. No, and Travis, uh, Travis Jackson, I did have him written down. He definitely was someone I had to consider. I did some positional you know, uh, magic and work some stuff around. But I, I will say that... Um, there's definitely a really good case for for Travis Jackson. Yeah, and it's funny how many, many years he got MVP votes, but really never was like considered heavily. I mean, the best year he had, I think, was 1934. He got fourth in MVP. Uh, funny that he only had a one, 101 OPS plus that year, but he still got top four in MVP. Uh, so Travis Jackson, my shortstop, defensive guru, and then, of course, Matt Williams, kind of being that 90s Giants left side guy uh, all the way up till 96, and then, of course, finish out his career with uh, another NL West team, the Arizona Diamondbacks. So Matt Williams, Travis Jackson, my left side will now move to the outfield. And it is a very scary outfield. I'll say at least Alex, the Giants outfield is pretty impressive. Do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, Travis, I think in my mind, there's there, there are there are some other great outfielders besides these three, but the three have to be Barry Bonds, Willie Mays, and Mel Ott. Um, three Re- guys. Retweet. Three guys who are all, uh, first of all, all have Hall of Fame stats. Bonds, of course, the controversy with the steroids. He's in his last year on the ballot. We'll be talking about him a lot, I'm sure, in January, our podcast episodes that month. But, uh, Travis, Mel Ott, uh, I think, is one of the most underrated hitters because he kind of hides in that, like, Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, like, shadow. He was in that kind of same era. 
but did not get the same buzz. But he was like the National League version of those guys, honestly, where he has over 500 home runs. He has some monster, monster seasons with like 170 OPS plus. Um, and the career war is well above 100. And he played his whole career with the Giants. So he's such a slam dunk pick. There can be no one else um, as that third outfielder for this team. And then, of course, Willie Mays. You don't have to say much about him. If you know about you know baseball history, about anything, you know he's one of the best players of all time. Center fielder, five-tool player, one of the best defensive center fielders of all time, one of the best hitting center fielders of all time, uh, 660 career home runs. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he has uh, the best position player war of any position player. That could be wrong, uh, based on reference, but I think they change their war calculations every once in a while. But at one point, I think he was the most war of any player um, for position players. But either way, Travis, I think it's just three slam dunk picks. Talk to me about those guys. Yeah, and I think about the war, I think – Ruth might be considered, but he was, of course, a pitcher for the first part of his career. So that, of course, will contribute to his overall war. Uh, but the defense just yeah, makes – Mace has like so many seasons of over 10 war Yeah, as a young guy and an old guy. Definitely, definitely. But, yeah, I mean, you spot on Mel Ott, Willie Mays, Barry Bonds. Alex, I saw this and I really want to know this is probably the only three outfielders on one franchise where every outfielder has a war above 110. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I mean, it, I there's mean, no way there's another. I mean, I'm trying to think about. Albert Pujols doesn't have 100 war. No. And you're talking right. about three guys that have 110 plus war. I mean, it's, yeah. just, it, it's just mind boggling to me. So uh, that was probably one of the easiest outfields to make on this uh, entire and I would, series. I wish, I wish, I mean, there's tons of guys. There's probably like three, four, five guys where if you put them on like, I don't know, the Diamondbacks or the Padres, they probably would make that. That team, right? Bobby Bonds would be like one of the best players in, yeah. in Diamondbacks history. You're right. But he played for the Giants, and the Giants have too many good outfielders to compete with. So yeah, um, and it's unfortunate for those guys. But you know, three easy picks in my mind for the Giants. Definitely, definitely. So we'll move now on to the pitchers, Alex. Uh, I'll give you my five, and then of course you can give your rebuttal. But for me, number one, of course, Christy Mathewson being a New York Giant all throughout the I think the early uh, nineteen, you know early 1900s to 1910s. I don't think he got into the 1920s for pitching, but he did pitch during that dead ball era was an absolute standout. Uh, he is definitely on the list of the immortals for baseball hall of famers. So he is my number one. Number two, I have Juan Marichal. Number three, I have Carl Hubble. Number four, I have Gaylord Perry. And number five, I actually went with Madison Bumgarner. Uh, I want to, of course, contribute one of these guys to having great, great postseason ex- uh, success. And Bumgarner, uh, I mean, he's one guy I think every guy that is in our generation will say, you know, playoff series, playoff game, who do you want starting? I know a lot of people probably would say Bumgarner because what he's able to do in that 2014 World Series was absolutely remarkable. Travis, we have the same five. I think that might be the first time we had the f- same five impressive. starting pitchers. But, yeah, I think Matthewson, uh, Hubble. Marischal are three slam dunk picks. They all Definitely. have to be here. Um, Matthewson, one of the best pitchers. Look at his numbers. Uh, dead ball era, yes, but even like the 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 numbers that adjust for the era, like ERA plus, still very very favorable for Matthewson. And two triple crowns. Yeah, I mean, dominated the National League in his time. Um, and then uh, Carl Hubble is my second guy. He has to be here. Um, his numbers are great. Um, he, I think, is kind of underrated. He was part of a really good era of Giants teams. I think he's a teammate with Mel Ott, if I'm not mistaken. But um, Juan Marichal, Travis, uh, another legend, uh, Hall of Fame kind of guy, uh, you know, kind of iconic for Giants. And 
Gillard Perry's Travis, someone else who has a great, great career. Longevity. Didn't play at all with the Giants. He moved around some. Yes. But the fact that he had some great years with the Giants, he had to be on this team, I think. Yeah. And then uh, Madison Bumgarner, Travis, I agree. Uh, there are some other guys who make good cases, but uh, I think there has to be some representation for the modern era that they've had. Um, it'd be kind of weird for, you know, the four, if all five, we already have four guys that are like Giants historic greats. And they've had uh, and, and Hall of Famers already. They've yeah. had three championships, and then also like a best, uh, a best what do you call it? Like a best record uh, just this last season. Like they've obviously had a really great last like 11, 12 years. Yes, got to give that some credit. So I went with Mad Bum. Honestly, Travis, if you just cared about peak, peak, peak years, there'd be an argument for Lincecum because mm-hmm. he was so good two years in a row, and then Very he also true. played for I believe all three of those championship teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, he had an argument in my mind, but at the end of the day, it had to be Mad Bum. Travis, one other name I had written down was uh, Amos Russi, and he played in the 1800s, so he did not qualify. Yeah. But if he did qualify, I'm sorry, Mad Bum, but I would have five old historic guys. He had some crazy numbers, but um, it just gets too, too old school for even us, and we like those old school guys. <laughs> yeah, we're going back to Civil War era uh, for, for baseball players. They probably literally were fighting and then came back to play baseball. But uh, no, I know. I, I, I definitely considered him and – Playing just, yeah, before the 1900s, I was kind of thinking, okay, I want to keep this to be like 120 years span old. I don't want to go back into the 19, the 1880s, 1870s. I mean, I think the Cincinnati Reds were founded in 1869. I don't really want to go back to, you know, an 1870 legend, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, good that we have at least the same list. Uh, Mad Bum, Gaylord, Carl, Juan, and Christie. So yeah. uh, definitely. Pretty good big five. All very, very good. And then uh, moving now to the ninth inning closer, Alex. Basically, there's a lot of guys, of course, that are really good good during these past couple championship runs the past 10 years, but I had to go with Rob Nen. Uh, Rob Nen, of course, I think he was five years with the Giants. I think another five years with the Florida Marlins. But Rob Nen in those five years uh, took him to the World Series one year. Uh, and then, of course, every year it seemed like he was getting 40 saves or more every single season. Uh, with a great ERA, with a 2.43 ERA. That's a 169 ERA plus, Alex. Uh, and of course, like I said, just being kind of locked down with these ERAs. Uh, very, very special reliever for them. Who do you got for your ninth inning guy? Travis, I also have Rob Nen. Uh, there were some other guys that were worth looking at, but... Um, Fear the Beard, Brian Wilson. Wilson and Roma both had some great, great peak years. Yes. Um, and they do a good job of representing that... Uh, three championships in five years they had at the beginning of the last decade. But yeah, Travis, Rob Nen, um, beginning of the, or I guess late nineties, early two thousands had some really incredible seasons, uh, was a big part of their team with bonds that had lots of success, but did not get over that world series hump. Uh, thanks to the Trey gloss. I, I Travis, I'm not mistaken. That might be Rob Nen's last at bat ever. Is it? Or I, p- I better faced. You know it, what? It might Look, be the Trey gloss. Looking at it now, now he finished in 2002 and, I don't think he pitched game seven. And that was so. his last. That was his last appearance. Wow, yeah, it's actually a really good note that you added right so, there. So yeah, uh, for those that might not be aware, like the Angels uh, essentially got Rob Nen to blow a save in the eighth inning uh, by a clutch double by Troy Gloss to extend the Angels' postseason chances, World Series champ- chances, and they ended up winning it in Game Seven. So and also, I'd say Bonds' defense. So yeah, that that also helps us a lot, but. Uh, <laughs> A defensive sub could have helped Nen get the the big save, but a, a defensive sub could have helped the Rangers win in 2011 as well. So yeah, I mean that just happens in the big games, I guess. But yeah, Travis, at the end of the day, Nen's numbers are super elite. 
And I think he was, for me, overall, not too hard of a pick. I think he had to be my closer. Definitely, definitely. So that really rounds out the Giants, a very, very historic uh, franchise. I mean, this team on paper right now definitely goes toe to toe. I think with like you look at the Tigers, the A's, the the Yankees, the Red Sox. That outfield right there just is. I mean, just a one, two, three punch that is just like un, unlike any other. I mean, yeah, they're gonna be batting like probably two, three, four in your order, just lefty, righty, lefty. It's just so incredibly deadly for sure. Yep, yep. And then of course you got Posey and McCovey even batting in the seventh and eighth hole. So uh, really special organization and franchise but now we'll move to another team that's uh right now they're on the rise and that is the san diego padres alex they've been around for 53 years uh started out in 1969 uh and ever since then have been the san diego padres but uh this team alex it's much like the rays it was a little bit frustrating with a lot of positions because there are a lot of guys on the team right now that are deadly and we could definitely make the list in two years and it's going to be completely different i want to of course still somewhat obey the five-year rule where guys are playing for five years on these teams so some positions were a little bit hard to uh really finalize and make but we did our best and uh, we can at least just say that there's a lot of guys right now on the padres that are probably going to be uh franchise guys in uh you know like i said two to three years so We'll start with the catching position, Alex, and I'll let you start first for your catcher. Travis, um, so I actually went with a guy who breaks our rule. So a little bit of a plot twist there. Oh, geez. Yeah. I, I picked I picked uh, Gene Tennis. So he was a Padre for, I think, just four years. But looking at the other options. I'll, I'll allow that. It's fine. You'll allow yeah, that? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> looking at, looking pulling up his page right now, um, looking at his numbers compared to any other catcher that was an option they're not close and i think in my mind if you have like you know like the top three or the top four war seasons for the position if you don't get that fifth year i'm kind of okay with that just because you were so good in those few years you were with the team so he played four years had a 136 ops plus he's not a hall of famer but in my mind so here's here's the deal. As a Padre, he batted a 237 batting average, which is not good. He had a 403 on base in those years. So he was the definition of a modern player, almost like a like a Zunino or something, where you're literally you're not up there to get singles. You're up there to you know hit the ball, try to hit it hard, or just take walks, kind of like a Grandal almost maybe. But um, yeah, a 136 OPS plus in four years as a catcher is super impressive. Um, he led MLB in walks as a Padre in 1977 at 125, which is a really huge number. And uh, he didn't get tons of credit for that back then because people probably didn't really care as much about on base, but he's a really sneaky guy for me, Travis. Uh, I think he had to get the spot. There are some other guys and um, yeah, I just had to break the rule for this one. So no go, problem, go, no. go and tell me who you got. You know what? And he was a guy that of course camped all the time on my list uh for making it and looking at the four years was just crushing because each of the ops plus was just insanely impressive but for me i had to go with benito santiago yeah. uh padre of course for let's see i think he was a padre padre for seven years uh you know just a 95 ops plus a barely you know pretty much little less than league average probably for, average for like a catcher I'd exactly say. And, I, and i'm not really gonna of course be hard on him for that because uh he was a defensive guru uh defensively has one of the best defensive wars for a san diego padre in their franchise in the top 10 so uh really like of course that being a defensive catcher uh so he was my catcher for choice 
Gene Tennis, of course, four years, not five years. But again, I think that those numbers will make up for it. So, yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, that is our catching positions. Now we'll move to the first and second base. And I'll let you go first, Alex, for that one. Okay, so uh, looking at first and second base, I didn't have too much trouble with first base. I went with Adrian Gonzalez. Um, he's someone, Travis, who really kind of caught stride when we were like, um, you know, young watching baseball into the game. He has some really great peak seasons with the Padres, even though he moved on to other teams. Like, you know, he played with the Dodgers as well, played with the Red Sox as well. But overall, his Padres years are pretty memorable. Um, he was the easy pick for me. Uh, and then second base, Travis, I actually went with Mark Loretta, who uh, it's a kind of a classic case of I didn't know who I'd be picking going into it, had to do a good amount of research. And uh, when it was all said and done, Mark Loretta for me just gets the nod. Um, pulling up his stats right now, he did play only three years as a Padre, Travis. I am breaking the rule oh, you're again. Breaking the rules so much right now. Yeah. But I see the one twenty. Making me look bad, uh, Travis. I mean, it's okay because at the end of the day, you you know di- different different philosophies, I guess. And, he will be on my NLS division team. So yeah. oh, there you go, Be- beautiful. <laughs> but Travis, uh, just based on the options I had, um, I just decided to see the one twenty one OPS plus across three years, and decided to rock with it. He did get. A really good uh, all-star nod, ninth in MVP voting in 2004 um, with a 138 OPS plus that year. So, Travis, um, it sounds like you're not going to have him. And you probably agree that he's probably the superior uh, rate base-wise. But tell me about who you got because I'm sure your guy's going to have the longevity. Yeah, and again, making these lists, um, the infield was, of course, tough because there's a lot of guys I want to put. And, I I mean, honestly, right now I want to put Machado, I want to put Tatis Jr., and I want to put Cronenworth. I mean, I want to put these guys, but I cannot. So, uh, of course, first base, Adrian Gonzalez. He was honestly one of the most underrated, I feel like, hitters in that second half of the uh, 2000s. You know, you had Pujols, you had Fielder, you had uh, Ryan Howard, but Agon was just so underrated, but he was so good. I, I remember just hearing all these analysis of uh, of you know the first baseman in those uh, during those times in the 2000s, and a lot of uh, MLB analysts were always saying like Agon is just like the sneakiest guy. Like he'd be a guy that I would really want on my team. Such good plate discipline uh, and such good vision overall of the entire plate. So Agon is an easy first baseman. Second baseman Alex, um, possibly one of the saddest ones I had to make, uh, and I went with. Bip Rogers, or I'm sorry, Bip Roberts. Wow. Uh, he played seven years with the Padres, uh, a very cool 106 OPS plus. We'll take uh, that, we'll take that. You know what, though? He did have a 298 batting average, so almost was a 300 batter in those seven years. Uh, so he was my guy for that. Uh, again, I, I think really just more known for his defense than his offense, which I'm not going to be a huge hater on that. You know, if you have a full defensive heavy team, you're still going to be a very successful team, I feel. So Bip Roberts is my second baseman for the San Diego Padres. We'll move now, of course, to the left side of the infield, thank God. So, uh, again, this is where I go back to third base and shortstop. Uh, I'll start, Alex. For me, at shortstop, I have Gary Templeton. Gary Templeton is a guy who played, I think, in the 70s and 80s majority, but he was a Padre uh, in 82 and played all the way to 1990. Funny thing is, I was looking too at Ozzy Smith, and Ozzy Smith played only four years. And again, yep. it, it just crushed me again. So I was just again, I, I just that number four was just really 
digging into my soul. So uh, Gary Templeton, he is a 10-year guy, 252 batting average, a nice 77 OPS plus. Uh, again, this guy was a defensive guru. Looking at it, I think he's number one in the San Diego Padres defensive war uh, category. So number one out of any other player in the history of San Diego Padres. So that at, that at least is one big plus. Uh, I can really get behind being, uh, you know, someone who a big fan of like Anderson Simmons, where the offense isn't really going to be there, but if the defense is there. You're happy because he can provide you with uh -huh. elite defense. Right. Never kind of screw up on anything. But uh, he's my guy. One thing I'll, I will point out, Alex, is that, you know, I think Tatis has been around for I think it's three I think years. It's, this is, he just did his third year. Yeah. Just finished his third year and next year will be his fourth year. But uh, looking at a tweet that I saw from some guy, uh, he basically just stated if, you know, Tatis hits seven home runs next year, he'll rank 10th all time in Padres history. Yeah. And if he puts up a 6.6 .6 war, which he could walk to as long as he's healthy. Easily, easily. I think he can get done if, if he's healthy, of course. He'll be ranked fourth all time in San Diego Padres war. So you're just looking at the most specialist player besides Gwyn in the organization right now in Tatis. So uh, really looking forward to making these lists, uh, you know, in two years. So, <laughs> but that is going to be my shortstop pick. And then for third base, Alex, I went with Phil Nevin. Phil Nevin was a guy who played uh, eight. 80s i think he played in 90s and also played in the uh 2000s but uh was a good slugger uh for the padres he actually had a 129 ops plus uh 862 ops uh altogether a 288 average so uh was not terrible at the hitting side of things but uh played with the padres from 99 to 2005 but that is my left side who do you got Okay, Travis. So uh, starting off third base, I also don't, don't, I also don't, have don't, don't cheat me again, man. I, I also have Phil Nevin. I have Phil <laughs> okay, Nevin. Good. I didn't say Machado. Um, Travis, I'm looking at Phil Nevin's base reference page, and it actually looks like he was born in Fullerton. Yeah, and he went to like El Dorado, which is like Fullerton and Cal State Fullerton guy. Yeah, very interesting. He, uh, you know, you, you know, I, you know, you notice a lot of these guys that are I, I don't know what, what it is. I feel like these '90s guys are all you know SoCal guys. It's just, it's just funny how you find so many guys. Rob Nen went to Los Alamitos high school, you know, wow. it's kind of like, geez. But yeah, uh, the, the, the 98 season, I'll, cause in my head, I was like, I wonder why he never became an angel, but in 98, he was an angel. Um, he was the catcher, which was just odd. And then he had a really bad OPS plus year, but overall Travis, um, as a Padre, Nevin had seven years, a 129 OPS plus, uh, by far his best team. And also the team he played for the longest, it was definitely his prime, from around uh, ages 28 to like age like 33, 34. So because of that, Travis, he had to be the easy pick. He did play in multiple positions. He played a little bit of first base, some outfield, but um, third base was a hole where you could fit him in nicely just because um, he just kind of was better than the other options. There are other guys who made sense, um, but at the end of the day, like Cam and Nitty had like a crazy one year. Um, but overall, like I think that was kind of a steroid year. And like overall, like yeah. the other numbers don't really match up. So I like the Nevin pick. I'm got to be agree there. Moving on to shortstop, Travis, I have bad news. You cheated again. I cheated you again. Yeah. Travis, I think it has to be Fernando Tatis. Um, <laughs> I, the, the, I, th I think I know he played, he's played three years, but I think there's just absolutely... No, it's a go three years. Th yeah. There's absolutely no way around it. Um, he is on the fast track to being an all-time great if he can just stay healthy. If he stays healthy and stays a shortstop, you know, he's on a fast track to being one of the best players definitely the best player the Padres have ever seen one of the best players the league has ever seen because what he's done so far Travis um I'll double check I think his war per 650 plate appearances which is about a full season 
is up at like 7.5. So that's just what he's averaging his first three years. And obviously one of those, he's a rookie. So, you, you know, you can only expect so much from a rookie. But just considering how good of a player he's been, Travis, a fourth place MVP finish in the short season, third place last year, over a 150 OPS plus in all three seasons, uh, up at a 166 last year, was probably the best power hitter in baseball last year with his 611 slugging and 42 homers in only 130 games. That's like the difference maker because obviously other players had more homers. Uh, you know, Sal Perez and uh, Semyon had more uh, amongst other guys, but seeing 42 homers from a shortstop in only 130 games is another level completely. Um, his war, uh, a 6.6 last year. He just, like you said, he has to do that again, and he's the fourth best war in franchise history. In but yeah, Padres franchise history. So uh, he already is possibly Travis. It, it sounds it sounds disrespectful to Gwen, but I think he honestly right now is like the most talented player in their history. Um, and so yeah, for me, I understand we made these rules and I'm breaking them, but at, at the end of the day, I just like it just doesn't make sense for me to have someone else um, when the numbers are this good. But does he have the same defensive war as Gary Templeton? That's the real question, Alex. Travis, that is a good point. And <laughs> Tatis's defense is slipping in a big way. So maybe there's a clutch grounder up the middle and when our teams are playing against each other and Templeton's going to grab it. So, uh, But Tatis will have two or three home runs in the game, which, Tat- will, which will make up for all that. So It's very likely, yeah. But yeah, no, good pick. Um, no problem there. I mean, yeah, I mean, all these picks you went with are the picks that I – truthfully was looking at and right. it was just hard for me because i was just thinking about the five-year rule and i was just like i can't so uh, i gotta be loyal so i figured i figured Travis, it's one of those things we broke the rule with the rays and once you break the rule once you want to keep breaking it so <laughs> i'll break the rule a little bit i think with the dimebacks and the uh, rockies coming up but uh very good i mean gary templeton and tatis are just different players but yeah uh yeah, so we'll, we'll move now to the outfield. Uh, these, of course, I think were a couple were at least really easy to pick. And then, of course, I think maybe one, two guys might have been just kind of wild cards. But uh, for me, I'll go first, Alex. The two guys that are very easy guys for the Potters outfield is Tony Gwynn and also Dave Winfield. Both guys, uh, the top two war leaders in Padres history. So that's pretty much a slam dunk easy pick. The third outfielder I went with, Alex, is actually Ryan Klesko. Uh, Ryan Klesko was playing uh, a, a player with the Braves, also with the Padres. I think also one more team. It was the Giants. Yeah, so played one season with the Giants. But Klesko, uh, seven years with the Padres, uh, a 279 batting average with a 380 on base and almost a 500 slugging. Uh, almost had a 900 OPS with the with the Padres, uh, but, a, but a 134 OPS plus. Uh, great years with San Diego starting off in 2000 and then worked all the way till uh, 2006, uh, but one all-star appearance, but was just, you know, just kind of a, a great slugger. The only thing that's bad is that the Padres weren't the best team, and also they had to have, uh, you know, Barry Bonds in their same uh, division, so things might have got a little bit, you know, slid underneath the rug. So, uh, Klesko, for me, was my third outfielder for the Padres. Alex, who do you got? Yeah, so the first two we are in complete agreement on. Tony Gwynn is the franchise leader in war. He's like considered the franchise goat, Mr. Padre. Well deserved. Uh probably one of probably the best uh, modern hitter in terms of bat on ball making contact. Um, because the strikeout numbers are so incredibly low and the average is so so good um year after year. So and the defense the speed uh, brings a lot to the table, so he has to be there. Winfield Travis, also one of the best sluggers in team history. I had a good stretch with the team, so he's in the outfield, my outfield as well. 
the last pick for me ended up going to Brian Giles, who is someone I'm surprised about. Travis, his, yeah. I think his career gets slept on. Um, he was he was a pirate like goat, right? <laughs> I, I, I think in a 150 OPS plus for the Pirates. Yes, that's exactly right. 158 OPS plus for five years in Pittsburgh with seven years as a Padre. It's down at 122. So not as good with the Padres as with Pittsburgh, but did play as a Padre for a good seven years towards the end of his career from age 32 uh, to like 38 when he retired. But looking at just like the best years he had up at a 147 OPS plus in 2005 as a 34 year old playing right field. Uh, that's a 905 OPS. He led he led all of baseball in walks that year, 119 walks. So he really does he really developed in this plate discipline kind of guy. A, a 423 on base percentage in that 2005 season that I'm talking about. Um, had some very solid WAR numbers as well for a corner outfielder in his 30s. Uh, I see like a almost a five WAR season two different times as a Padre. So overall, you know the Klesko pick makes a lot of sense. Uh, I went with ne- I went with you know. I don't want Phil Nevin here, but or sorry, Brian Giles here, but very similar uh, sort of short stints with like one of their teams, and yep. uh, and I think both make a lot of sense. Yep, yep. Uh, good list, Alex. Uh, in, for me, of course, it was just it was pretty painful. I think on this Padres list, just looking at uh, some of these guys that you know just should not have been here, but they had to be there. But I, I will say about Giles, like in my mind, he's not the kind of guy who has a 51 career war and a career 400 on base, but he does like, that's yeah, like, that's, that's very sneaky. And yeah. I'm sure I, I don't know when he was in the ballot, but I'm sure he got no love. I, I, I can just, I can just guarantee you he got no love. No. Yeah. I, I think he definitely, I think he probably was a off the ballot in the first year, but you're right. You look at all these numbers and you're just kind of like, can we go back? I mean, any single time you go back to someone. And, and like I say, if you have a 900 OPS, you deserve some serious, you know, consideration right. for your career. So, I agree. uh, yeah, another guy that was just kind of slept on. Pirates, uh, those five years with Pittsburgh, uh, pretty impressive. I mean, uh, over over a 1,000 OPS. So, uh, Brian Giles, I, I feel like though I do remember him most, of course, Padres, because that was the team who spent most of my baseball watching as a young yeah, kid. Yeah, our so, childhood, yeah. So, Brian Giles, of course, good pick. Uh, Klesko, another just great power hitter. But, of course, Winfield, Gwynn, those are the two kind of the elites locks. Uh, for the outfield. So, we'll move to the pitching staff, Alex uh, I'll give you my five, and then you give me your five, and we'll uh, talk about it. But for me, number one, I got to go with Jake Peavy, uh, Cy Young winner, 2006, I believe. He's my number one. Number two, I have Randy Jones. He was kind of an interesting uh, guy because he's, he's a retired guy for the uh, organization. He's a retired number on the uh, San Diego Padres, and he had two great years. He had a uh, second-place finish in Cy Young in 75, and then in 76, he finished with the first-place vote in the Cy Young. Funny thing is, is second place finish here was actually a lot better than his first place finish here. Uh, that happens sometimes. It's very interesting. Which I, it must've been someone else in the league in 75 that, uh, you know, must've just kind of outdueled him, but, uh, great 75 and 76 overall career played eight years with the Padres, uh, pretty decently good career, only a one Oh four ERA plus. So again, kind of a league average guy, but a three thirty career ERA with the Padres. Uh, very good numbers for Randy Jones, and of course he is a retired guy for the organization. Uh, next three guys, I had Andy Ashby. I had Andy. I think it's Benes or Benz. Not sure. And then, I again, saw his name again, as well. The pronunciations are just going to kill me. But those are the next couple guys, and then the last guy I have is Chris Young. Chris Young was a guy that played with the organization. Uh, you know, I think the last ten to fifteen years, uh, Chris Young had a I think a, a very very good prime he had an all-star appearance 
Uh, he now is actually working in the front office for the uh, Texas Rangers. But wow. Chris Young uh, was my fifth guy. Again, just kind of scrambling with these names at the end. Uh, <laughs> he's my fifth guy. Alex, who do you got for your five? Yeah, so Charles, I think we agree on a few names. And like you said, at the bottom, we just kind of have to figure out who we like best. So yeah, my top name is going to be Jake Peavy. He's the easy top pick for me. Uh, had some of the best peak seasons of any Padre in terms of pitching. Uh, Andy Ashby also makes my team. Another guy who makes my team is Randy Jones, like you said. Some really good peak years. Um, a guy who makes my team, and I was kind of definitely a really weird stint with the Padres, is um, is Ed Whitson. So I went with Ed Whitson. I'm pulling up his numbers right now. It, for him, it was a unique tale of like a couple years were just like very meh, and a couple years were just like, whoa, where'd that come from? So he did play eight years as a Padre. Um, he looks a little sweaty in his, uh, in his he, picture. He looks, he looks very sweaty. They must have done this photo <laughs> day after a game or something. <laughs> after like a 50-pitch bullpen or something like that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in his in his final season, as well as his uh, first like three, or first like two and a half seasons, he had below average ERA plus, like a 76, 91, 84. Not very good. But then his two peak years as age 34 and age 35, this is a late 80s, early 90s, um, a 132 OPS plus, and then followed up by a 145 ERA plus, both with very good um, innings pitch numbers, 227, 228. So he was a workhorse with the great rate stats. Um, but because of those other bad years, his his Padres ERA plus is at 99. So in, in theory, he is a below average pitcher as a Padre when you add it all up. But just looking at his peak seasons, I thought he was an interesting guy to include on my team. Um, in those two years, Travis, a 6.5 war and then a 7.0 war. So great war seasons and surrounded by these war seasons that are all less than one. So uh, interesting pick for me, for sure. And then I rounded out my team with Bruce Hurst, um, just another guy who had kind of a unique career with the team. Um, but at the end of the day, Travis, like you said, kind of making some tough calls between some guys who are all kind of pretty borderline. Uh, should I include them? Should I not? But Bruce Hurst was like a one-time All-Star. Played more, played probably yeah more years with Boston, but um, a 113 ERA plus as a five-year San Diego Padre. So he made my team. Led baseball or led the National League in complete games once, and led baseball in shutouts once, both as a Padre. So I'll give him the nod, even though his best season might have been as a as a as a Red Sox. Yeah, no, uh, good list. I know that at least the big three that we talked about are PV Jones and Ashby. And then, of course, sometimes in these lists, you just get down to the bottom. You're like, I, I got to find someone that, that fits the criteria and, of course, has these effective numbers. And again, again, Travis, in like three, four, five years, you know, if Snell sticks around, if Musgrove can be great, you know, things yeah, can definitely yeah. change even, in this even, list. Even Clevenger. I mean, Clevenger's bounce For sure. will be uh, kind of having his first full season with the Padres this this next season uh, after recovering from Tommy John. But, yeah, uh, good list on those, the five. Alex the ninth inning guy is pretty simple. I think he was probably the first guy I put when I was making this list. It, Trevor Hoffman, uh, uh, all-time Hall of Famer, great closing pitcher for the San Diego Padres, and possibly one of the most badass walk-up songs uh, <laughs> out there. I think it was just it was Hell's Bells, and it was just it was pretty iconic. But uh, you knew when the uh, bells started ringing over the stadium, you just knew the game was practically over, which is pretty awesome. But uh, I'm guessing you're the same guy. Charis, I also, of course, have Trevor Hoffman. Um, the numbers are too good, and he played so much of his career with the team that it made the pick really easy. Um, you covered him well. I mean, yeah, led baseball in saves for so long until Mariano uh, caught up to him. But Travis, I will say, 
I did not realize how good Heath Bell was. I'm just going to go out there and say Heath Bell's career very true. Yeah. was very sneaky for me. I didn't actually ever say like, oh, I might have him over Hoffman. But like I had to look at his numbers and I said, I think his ERA plus is better. But since uh, I think he was just five years, Heath Bell versus Hoffman, like, you know, double digit years with the Padres, the choice was pretty obvious. Um, the saves that, you know, the career saves also tell the same story. But yeah, Charles, Heath Bell was someone that also surprised me. Wanted to shout out his name out real quick. There's a lot of guys like that, you know, that uh, special guys for the Potters. I mean, even looking at like the prime of Kirby Yates, very, very good. Oh, right. I think uh, Houston Street played a little time with the San Diego Potters and had some good years. But uh, yeah, Trevor Hoffman has to be the guy. Alex, that really uh, concludes everything on the Padres organization. Uh, hopefully, you know, like I said, two years. This, this list will be... There's a lot of weird stuff about the Padres. There is. Kev, I was looking at some of their peak seasons. Kevin Brown was a pitcher, 9.1 war, but was with the team for one year. It's like, if you just played three more years or four more years and they were bad, I'd still put you in. Oh, yeah. Like, that year is so crazy. Yeah, 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 Justin yeah. Upton had a great uh, season, but like I think one year with the, with the team. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's just what happens, I guess. But if they can get some of these guys that play a little bit longer or some of the active players, you know, Machado, Machado a few more years, you know, the list will be looked different. Like, and, and, and the way we've seen the last, uh, you know, two years play out, that their front office is very aggressive. So we like to see that. I guarantee these lists will be different in five years. So uh, that is the Padres organization. We will now shift to uh, another team that is, again, uh, very successful in this division. That's the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, probably one of the most successful teams of the past five years. And uh, they, of course, are one year younger than the Giants. The Giants are 139 years old. The Dodgers are 138 so they start out in 1884 and, of course, are still playing to this day. Alex, I'll kind of give you the rundown on the team names that they went through. Uh, it, it's, please, a, it's, a, do. it's a pretty deep run on this. So uh, in 1884, they were the Brooklyn Atlantics. In 1885 to 1887, they were the Brooklyn Grays. From 1891 to 95, they were the Brooklyn Grooms. 1888 to 1898 they are also the brooklyn bridge grooms so they are called the grooms and the bridge grooms during the same period of time i i just don't understand they must have just had some sort of nickname or maybe they just shortened it down for grooms but anyways that's that in 1899 they became the brooklyn super bass i like that name the best and then in 18 i'm sorry now we're going to 1914 so the sewer bass were 1888 to 1913, 1914 to 1931. They were the Brooklyn Robins. And then from 19, uh, actually in 1911 to 1957, I don't know what's going on with this. They have the same, they have different names in the los angeles dodgers so pretty pretty a, a lot of names in this history right here I, I, I hope to see someone with a brooklyn grooms hat at a at a game next year uh they're pretty legendary if they could if they could stick one of those hats around there but that would be sweet uh yeah a lot of names for these dodgers but uh the organization is very very rich alex a uh, lot a lot a lot of good players so uh we'll start the catching position alex and for me had to go mike piazza so Mike Piazza, one of the best hitting catchers of all time. Mike Piazza, uh, his, I think it was six or seven years uh, maybe with the Dodgers, but uh, those years are incredible. I think every year he almost won a silver slugger. Uh, he was one of the best hitting catchers. Power-wise was one of the best power hitters of the game at the time. He's my catcher. Who do you got? 
Yeah, Travis. Uh, it looks like, yeah, seven years as a Dodger for Piazza. I think probably the best hitting catcher ever. Looking at just uh, at least looking at a short prime. Looking at home runs. <laughs> looking at, but even the, but the average, he batted three sixty two in 1997. Yeah, great on base numbers, great Walker, and the power was awesome. Of course, I went a different way though. I had to go with Roy Campanella and very good. Travis, okay. I, I think this was the I think this was the hardest decision for me of the entire NL. Uh, West. I yep. think that this decision between Mike Piazza and Roy Campanella, Piazza was the better hitter. Campanella is still a very good hitter. Um, Campanella, for me, Travis, he has the accolades, first of all. He has three MVPs and the World Series stuff going for him. Was on a legendary era of the Dodgers team, played with Jackie Robinson, you know. Um, super iconic, super iconic, but. Um, that stuff usually is not what really uh, sells me over. Usually I'm okay with just like who had the best numbers. Let's go with that. And a lot of the war numbers show um, that the best peak seasons also belong to Piazza. But what ended up swinging it to me for Campanella at the end of the day was, he, you know, the first several years of his career was in the Negro Leagues. If you go on his baseball reference page, yeah, age 15, he was already playing in the Negro Leagues. I saw that. That's, that's right. That's really, that's really wild. That's crazy to even think about. But he really uh, grinded it out there. For, uh, he almost, said he, almost a decade. He basically said, "Screw high school, I'm out of here." I guess. I mean, I guess so, right? Like playing at 15, uh, playing pro baseball is, is obviously incredible. Um, in 1948, ends up becoming a Brooklyn Dodger, and has you know some of the best uh, catching seasons they've ever had. Of course, a 159 OPS plus in 51. Uh, that was his first MVP, which was followed by two more in the next five year span. So, definitely one of the best. Um, Hitting catchers ever, uh, I do think that Mike Piazza is a step above. But also, a lot of you know writers talk about how great uh, Campanella was defensively, really elite at throwing out base runners. Uh, obviously, a good defender. Um, Piazza, I think the one knock could be his defense, but at the, at the end of the day, Travis, both these guys are phenomenal, phenomenal picks. The Dodgers are blessed to have had both guys in their history and to make it such, such, such a tough choice, I guess. But I went with the with the world champion with the uh, three-time MVP. No, good mention. And he was a guy that I was definitely thinking about looking at the all-time war. He is, has an all-time better war as a Dodger, of course, spending the whole entire uh, part of his you know uh, career with the Dodgers. Piazza, of course, going to New York, spending a very good time uh, for the Mets organization, of course, went into the Hall of Fame as a Met. So uh, can't really knock you down there. And, of course, a great mention of basically all the accolades. I think he said three-time MVP. Uh, it's good to at least mention him and just not totally just brush him underneath, underneath the rug and right. forget about him. So good pick there. Uh, both guys, tremendous all-around catchers. Uh, Piazza with just the pure offense. And then, of course, uh, Campanero just uh, being all-around. Uh, so that concludes the catching spot for the Dodgers. Alex, we'll now move to the first and second base spots. For me, um, second base, I think we've all kind of had this in our heads. Uh, I went with Jackie Robinson, uh, you know, of course, with what he was able to do, uh, not just with breaking the color barrier, but of course, actually playing and performing. Uh, he played 10 seasons, Alex, with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he has a career 63.9 war. I mean, it just, that just tells you every single year, he's getting, you know, above a three war. I'm, I'm sorry, every year he's getting above a six war. Right. So very, very good contributor. Uh, 200 stolen bases, a 410 career on base, uh, an 887 OPS with a 133 OPS plus in his career, an MVP to his name as well. Uh, iconic moments for him, you know, stealing home in the World Series. 
uh, just of course an iconic guy. So he's my second baseman. And then going back to my first base spot, went with the guy that actually just got into the Hall of Fame a couple weeks ago. I went with Gil Hodges. Uh, for me, Gil Hodges was a 16-year uh, uh, member of the Dodgers organization, uh, has an 847 OPS career with the Dodgers and a 120 OPS plus. Uh, and then, of course, a great, great slugger, 360 home runs for the Dodgers organization. Uh, had a really good span of literally just getting MVP votes every single year from 1948 all the way to 1954. Uh, and then, of course, playing as well in Los Angeles. Kind of iconic, was part of part of a great Brooklyn Dodgers team and then I had to make the switch to L.A. like a lot of them did. I, I just it, it, I, I kind of want to see going back to that time you know, how the players felt about it and then also how the fans felt about it because you're going from watching your team play, like let's just say they play at like 7 o'clock at night to now going to watching your team play at 10 o'clock at night and you're on like, the, on the I, radio. I, I, I can't watch this team anywhere because yeah. I, I, I got to go to bed. So uh, definitely was probably a really, really tough move as most moves are, uh, you know, being in Brooklyn for that long and then moving to the West Coast was definitely something that probably uh, hurt a lot of fans. But Gil Hodges, Jackie Robinson, those are my two picks. Alex, what do you got? Travis, we completely agree on both. Uh, my first baseman is Gil Hodges. You summed it up great. Um, it is interesting how they moved, you know, multiple Hall of Fame stars. I think Snyder was on the team too when they did move from Brooklyn to L.A. So it's kind of funny how they just kind of up and left uh, to expand on the West Coast with uh, so many superstars. But at the end of the day, Travis, looking at uh, Jackie's numbers, it's just – oh, sorry, looking at uh, Hodges' numbers, it's just too incredible – um, had good consistency. There are other guys who I looked at, um, like Steve Garvey, someone, and he also slots yes. into some different spots. He could be a third baseman or we don't have a DH of course, but his bat was very consistent. But for me, Hodges has the better peak years and overall, I think he's just a bit step above. Um, really glad he got into the hall of fame just a couple weeks back. So moving on to Jackie Robinson, Travis, um, an LA guy through and through actually went to UCLA for those that, that don't know. Um, that's a big deal. And then obviously went to Brooklyn, Played his career there and for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, actually, looks like he just might not have he might not have been a part of the move to LA, um, but still, Travis, you know, every single year except for one, which was a shortened season, he might have gotten injured or something. He is above a hundred OPS plus, an MVP to his name. Uh, with that year, he got the batting title and also stole the most bases in Major League Baseball. That's in 1949. Has the Dodgers uh, famous 1955 uh, World Series for for Brooklyn. One of the one of the all time great teams, I'd say, just because, um, you know, Snyder was great. I think Campanella was yeah, Campanella was on the team. You know, just a really great squad. Um, so yeah, Travis Robinson, such an easy pick, not only for his numbers but what he means to the Dodgers fan base. Every Dodgers fan wants him to be here, and, and he deserves it. So definitely, definitely, and I just I mean, was one of the most complete, like you say, four tool players. You know, just didn't ha- had pop, but did not have, of course, the you know, Ted Williams kind of pop. But right, right. Uh, you know, the speed really made up for it. Uh, so good pick there. We'll move. We'll now move to the left side of the infield, Alex, and uh, I'll let you start first. Shortstop and third base. Uh, really curious to see about your shortstop pick because I know there's one guy we always talk about that uh, you know always gets mentioned. But go ahead and give me your left side, Travis. So I know exactly what you're talking about for shortstop, um, and I'll just tell you, I went with Pee Wee Reese, and I'm surprised too. I'm surprised too. <laughs> I'm surprised at myself because I'm just the kind of guy who loves seeing a really great. You know how good was your peak kind of thing, like yes. and Travis, uh, the 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 elephant in the room is Corey Seager is an all time great 
power hitting shortstop. Well, I thought you were going to say uh, Raphael for call. That's, that's, uh, no, that's, that's funny. That's no, not, that's no. not where I was going, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> or maybe old Normar, old Nomar. But no, I was definitely, uh, I definitely had to compare Seager and Reese in their primes, as well as you know the longevity. At the end of the day, Travis Reese is someone who, for the career, below average hitter, 99 OPS plus. But the peak years, he does get up there. A 121 OPS plus in one year, a 113 in another year, 121, 116. So during his prime, he was getting top 10 MVP votes like year in, year out, and also was a well above average hitter with great speed, stealing bases, playing great defense, um, led baseball in, in stolen bases in 1952, it looks like. Um, also lost three years of military service. So honestly, that for me is always going to be a pro just because you sacrificed your 24, 25, 26 age seasons. That could have been so much more on the record books for you. You know, he had uh, only 13, 38 career hits. Or sorry, that's runs. He had 21, 70 career hits. That's going up so much uh, at those extra three seasons. He's up probably around like 2,500, honestly. So um, he's such a, also such a like an easy Hall of Famer, looking at his like war at 68.5, all with the Dodgers. So considering that, Travis, he has to be the shortstop for me, even though I did like Seager, uh, the peak hitting, I guess. But the war also is a great advantage for for Reese. Uh, 6.2 war this one year, 7.4 another year, 6.2 another year. There's overall the peak, uh, what you can find, I guess, in like some of his a little bit above average batting, but then great base running and great defense. It speaks a lot. So he's my shortstop. Third base, I surprisingly went with Justin Turner, which might be a surprise because there's some other good names. But Travis, Justin Turner overall has been kind of like we say, the heartbeat of the recent Dodgers. Yes. Uh, great run, the great team they have right now. Um, Dodgers found something special with him because he became a Dodger at age 29 already played several seasons as a Met without much success, immediately became a high-impact player who's getting MVP votes year in, year out. A big part of their postseason success, I think he's towards the top of the leaderboard in terms of their postseason home runs. He might be number one, but I don't have that number in front of me. Um, but yeah, Travis, for me, third baseman. I love the hitting as well as the kind of the leadership that uh, – Justin Turner brings to the Dodgers. He's the heart and soul of the best run they've been on possibly since they were came to LA. So yeah, no, no, hundred percent agree with that. What you said, um, I'll start of course with a shortstop position. I went PB Reese, yeah. uh, Corey Seager again, looking at his numbers. It was, it was hard to kind of pass him on, but of course now we know he's going to be a Texas Ranger for the, probably the rest of his career. It helps. Um, it helps to take him off this list knowing he's not going to keep adding to his Dodgers. resume. Exactly. If he maybe would have signed a five year or 10 year deal with the Dodgers, then I would be saying something different probably right now. I, I would probably be looking at Seager because I would say he has proven to be in, the, I think it's been six years he's been with the Dodgers, but what he's been able to do with the Dodgers he's getting is getting MVP votes all the time. And it's special. I mean, even though PB Reese got MVP votes, uh, his the, hitting was nowhere the, near. Right. The, the batting numbers aren't close. The level. But, of course, Pee Wee being such a great defensive guy, uh, second all-time on the Dodgers war. He's actually, I think, less than three war away from the first-place guy. Uh, and, of course, he'll be coming up later on. Uh, we go through the uh, pitching staff. But uh, Pee Wee Reese, again, three years of military service. It's crazy that, you know, again, another prime or pretty much young prime 24, 25, 26-year-old seasons 
uh, he would have, of course, added on to his all-time war. We could be looking at maybe like a 15 war added on to his overall career. Could be like an 85 career war guy, which would be really, really insane. Now, at that point, we're talking about like one of the best shortstops of like the generation. Exactly, exactly. So Pee Wee Reese was my guy, Hall of Famer also. And then it's just funny how looking at all these seasons, he was just getting MVP, MVP, MVP votes all the way through uh, when the hitting was decent, but, you know, definitely league average. Yeah. Uh, barely above league average, almost like sitting at like a 105 OPS plus. Uh, and then, of course, the hitting, the batting averages were all consistently around the 260 to 280 mark. But Pee Wee's my guy. Third base, Alex, this, of course, came down to Justin Turner and Ron Say. Uh, Ron Say being a great third baseman for the Dodgers in the 70s and also a little bit through the early part of the 80s. Uh, quick shout out. Uh, Ron Say is my uh, mom's favorite player for some weird reason. Wow, um, did not know that. Funny little story. Was actually able to meet Ron Say. I think when I was like ten at a uh, now out of business a Circuit City. Really, <laughs> really weird story. I want to of course bring up that, but I got a signed baseball from Ron Say from a Circuit City. Did I you think ha- oh, it was it was like a meet and greet. Meet and greet. At oh, a- I was gonna say like, did you run into him with the baseball and sharpie? No, 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 no. It was it was like a meet and greet at a Circuit City in the city of industry. It was just it was probably just the weirdest like thing ever. But that I still awesome. have that signed baseball by him. I actually have a bobblehead of him as well. Uh, yeah, uh, my mom, of course, quick shout out to my mom. Uh, you know, she was, uh, probably one of his biggest fans. So he was, of course, one guy I saw and I was like, I got to give him some consideration, but sorry, mom, I went with the Game of Thrones legend, Justin Turner. So, uh, Turner, of course, like you said, the heartbeat, uh, what he's been able to do the last, you know, six, seven years has been absolutely, you know, just amazing. I mean, ever since 2016, I feel like he has just been on a such an elite level with the Dodgers, uh, you know, going through all the success that he has. And has, like I said, the heartbeat of that postseason team of this dynasty, the Dodgers have really built. Justin Turner has been in the middle of all of it uh, on base percentage for some of these years has been very, very high and very, very good. Same with the average and also the slugging. Um, just crazy that, you know, his OPS is, you know, in the 900s, the mid 900s, uh, you know, in most of these years. And, and that that's just, I mean, that's just pure elite levels right there. Yeah. Uh, so Justin Turner, for me, had to be the guy also with the Dodgers. He has an 877 OPS uh, career with them, almost a 300 batting average too. Uh, and also a very, very good glove as well. Uh, but yeah, Justin Turner is the guy for the job. Uh, great Dodger. I think, I mean, every Dodger is going to be saying he's like one of their favorite guys because of what he's been able to do. But yeah, left side of the infield is going to be Turner, Pee Wee Reese. You get the old guy, you get the new guy, uh, a little bit of mix of that. It's so good combo. Yeah, so we'll move now to the outfield for the Dodgers. Alex, I'll let you go first, and then I will give you my rebuttal. Cool. So starting it off, Travis, uh, my first outfielder is going to be Duke Snyder. He has to be, uh, you know, the 1A in the outfield, essentially. He'll probably be playing Definitely. center field, but he has to be, like, the head honcho out there. He uh, His Truly a Dodger legend, an inner circle Dodger, all time great. Um, I think it's just it's just kind of crazy when you think about Duke Schneider and you want to know like how good he was. People used to say like Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Like they talked yeah. about Mickey Mays and uh, Mickey, Mickey Mays. <laughs> Talk about Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays in the same breath as Duke Schneider. That says quite a lot about how good you were. An eight time All Star. Um, had a great little stretch in the in the early mid 50s of like being top looks like top 10 MVP voting like five straight years uh, led baseball in OPS plus uh, in 
1953. Never got the MVP award, but Travis, there were some seasons where he for sure had a case to be the best player um, just because of a probably team's, team success. But of course, with those other center fielders playing baseball at the same time, it's going to be hard to get one of those awards. But Travis, some of his best war seasons, a 9.1 baseball reference war in 1953 followed up by back-to-back seasons with over eight war and then a 7.6 war in 56 so what a dominant four-year stretch he had right there um truly was a standard uh has to be the 1a in this outfield moving on to my other picks travis i also included zach wheat who is a much older uh you know like almost dead ball era looking kind of guy um zach wheat for me um he had to be included i'll just move on and then we'll we'll discuss my Mm -hmm. third pick is going to be pedro guerrero so go ahead and give me your three and we'll talk about them same 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 yeah uh you did a great job on duke snyder uh yeah one a i mean just kind of was the easy penciled in outfielder uh, for the dodgers organization was really surprised by alex with pedro guerrero uh, uh-huh. Some of his numbers were really surprising. 11 years with the Dodgers, uh, 78 to 86, actually 87. I'm so sorry. Actually played the first half of 88. So almost like the glory days of the uh, 70s slash 80s Dodgers he played with the organization. Uh, but I mean, OPS, almost a 900 OPS in the 11 years with the Dodgers, a 149 OPS plus with uh, almost a 310 batting average. I mean, he did everything when it came to the hitting part of the game. So he had to be an outfield slot for me. Just the bat was too deadly. Uh, and then talk to me a little bit about Zach Wheat. I had him too, a great guy for the, it looks like the Brooklyn Robins and then also the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the Wheat stats. So yeah, looking at uh, the numbers on Zach Wheat, first of all, a Hall of Famer, um, played with the Dodgers, Brooklyn Dodgers, uh, for almost his whole career from 1909, uh, age 21, all the way to 1926, age 38, then one last year with the Philadelphia A's, which was hardly a season, he played about half the season, um, but Travis, he has a batting title to his credit, uh, multiple years up in the uh, almost at 150 OPS plus did get to that number one year with the Dodgers. It's a 130 OPS plus for an 18 year career with the team. That's very high level for how long he was a Dodger. Um, and then looking at some of the war numbers, Travis up at a six war some years when it's not a six war, it's usually up in like the threes or fours, very consistent and long career with the Dodgers just had to be recognized, uh, got MVP votes in three different years. So overall, just kind of an underrated guy that might not get a lot of love, but had to be in this team. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, and a couple guys that really, uh, you know, I wanted to give a shout out to, of course, cause I was thinking about them as the outfielders, but you know, Matt Kemp, you have to think about him, uh, for what he was able to provide. Also, uh, Willie Davis, Willie Davis was a center fielder for the Dodgers, uh, has over a 60 war in his career, which again is a, is a pretty good milestone to have. I think he is in, he's in the top 10 for the Dodgers, but he's number eight on the all-time war for the Dodgers. Uh, a 54.6 war all time. So he is another guy, of course, that got um, some definite consideration. But of course, when you look at some of these guys and their bats, you know, Duke's the easy one. And then you, of course, look at some other guys and their bats are just too good to ignore. So, Charles, uh, so I, I want to piggyback, yeah. piggyback off that. There's some other guys I also had written down that were just like deserve consideration. Reggie Smith, Travis, only played uh, six years with the Dodgers. Definitely had his prime with the Red Sox. But... Um, Looking at his years with the Dodgers, only some of them are like half seasons, but in his two seasons with the most games played, he had a 168 OPS plus, which is 
MVP caliber. He got fourth in voting. That led the National League that year, followed up by the next year, a 162 OPS plus. So really back-to-back elite years, both fourth-place MVP finishes. Really great stretch, short stretch, but great stretch from Reggie Smith as a Dodger. Also, Travis, I think in five years, we could probably start thinking about Mookie Betts being penciled in here. Of course, only has two years with the team, but the war numbers are going to be off the charts. We already know it uh, based on what he did in Boston in his first two years in L.A. So, And also, Travis, if Cody Bellinger can figure it out, he could be here too. Honestly, like you could be looking at a future outfield of Bellinger, Betts. With, of course, you need to have Duke Snyder, but um, those modern guys, if they can keep it going, if they can figure it out again— like there's no question this list could be expanded with uh, some of the guys they have now. Easily, easily. Even I mean, even to give kind of a, a really underrated one too, with just the way that Max Muncy's been performing these past couple of years. I mean, for sure, he is a first baseman, second baseman, and also third baseman. So. He may have had his best season in this last season. Yeah. So if you're going to stay healthy going forward, yeah. Uh, if he remains a Dodger, he for sure can make a case. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And also even to Will Smith. Will Smith being honestly one of the top catchers in the game. Uh, hitting is just getting better, and I think it was honestly his second full season this uh 2021 so yeah uh again the career is really bright for some of these guys but uh that really i guess sums up our lineup alex for the brooklyn dodgers and also the la dodgers also going back to the grays grooms bridge grooms <laughs> super bass robins all these names but uh that will be it for the offense alex will go to the pitching staff and it is a deep pitching staff um i'll give you my five and then you can give me yours so starting off clayton kershaw Number two, Sandy Koufax. Three and four, both of the Dons. Dons Drysdale and Don Sutton. And then number five, I have Oral Hershiser. All five guys are, I believe, in the Hall of Fame. Uh, so just a stacked rotation. But give me your five and we'll discuss. Yeah, Travis. Um, a lot of similar names. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is the 1A. We'll talk about him in a second. <laughs> Absolute all-time great. Uh Sandy Koufax, Travis, one of the best uh, short primes ever. One of the best four-year stretches of pitching of all time. I also do have Don Drysdale. He's in my three spot. I actually go Oral Hershiser in my fourth spot. And my fifth spot, I go with Dazzy Vance, who I'll talk about him first. Dazzy. I'll talk about him first, I guess, because uh, he's someone that you know you don't have and I do. So I'll just make my case. He was a Brooklyn Dodger from 1922 up until 1932 so a good 11 year stretch and then came back for his final season but he led uh he led the his league the national league in ops sorry in era plus three times out of those uh, 11 or 12 seasons um overall even won mvp as a pitcher in 1924 for the brooklyn dodgers with a 216 era in 1924 travis 1924, we're talking about early Babe Ruth era, obviously in the other league, but the home run revolution is coming around. It's really catching on. Uh, you know, Babe Ruth, obviously, he's setting the tone, but uh, to pitch 308 innings with a 216 ERA in the 20s for me, such an offensively powered era, that that MVP says a lot to him about, says a lot about him to me. So he had to make my list. Um, I did have a Sutton, who I, who I, Sutton is who you had and I didn't. He was on my honorable mentions I have written down here because there's so much. It's such, such a deep rotation. But, Travis, talk to me about Sutton and we can kind of talk about the other guys too. Yeah, of course, of being a Hall of Famer, 300-plus uh, wins uh, in his career. And you're looking at, you know, 16 years. The first 16 years were all with the Dodgers. 
uh, just a smidge above a three ERA, a 309 ERA for his 16 years as a Dodger. ERA plus, of course, is not going to be the most impressive. It's a 110 uh, ERA plus. A lot of guys were having very, you know, similar numbers, but, uh, you know, workhorse kind of guy. Almost 4,000 innings with the Dodgers. Uh, in his career, he has over 5,000 innings. Uh, not many guys can get those uh, stats, you know, nowadays. Every single season is almost going into the 250s as a Dodger for innings pitched. So I really like that being that workhorse. And then, of course, getting uh, a ton of consideration in the middle part of his Dodgers career. I think it started in 72 and then went to 76. Every single year, Alex, he was getting top five in Cy Young. So uh, had a five-year prime with the Dodgers that was uh, pretty remarkable. I mean, anytime you're getting uh, top five votes in your Cy Young category, that is that is truly remarkable. So Sutton, of course, an iconic name. Also, I think he is number 12, I believe, on the Dodgers all-time. Uh, actually, he's 10. So he's in the top 10 wow. for all-time Dodgers war leaders with uh, uh, 54. So that is why I went him. Um, I definitely, of course, guy you brought up, of course, was an older guy. Definitely can see that kind of stats too uh, with everything that kind of brings in, but, uh, Sutton, my guy. And then, uh, of course, Drysdale, Hershiser, Koufax, Kershaw. Um, I, I feel like Koufax and Kershaw, you really don't even need to talk about. You don't guys just, if you, if you, I mean, you're not going to have questions, but if you have any questions, just go to baseball reference, look at the numbers, uh, definitely two of the best pitchers of their entire generation and both, you know, Kershaw will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He, you know, at the end of the day, he probably should be unanimous once he, you know. Travis will always make jokes about the postseason stuff, and it is it is funny for Dodger haters Good to jokes. joke about, but <laughs> Travis likes the jokes. <laughs> but Travis, the regular season numbers are just all-time, all-time great. I mean, what what, what sums it up is that he is going to be, it is be his age 34 season um, this upcoming season. We don't know where he's going to play, but he's already the all-time leader in war for the Dodgers. I mean, he already yeah. has a 70 1.9 war pretty much the mike trout of the pitching side right now in the game has been in the league a little bit longer than mike trout but pretty much came through broke through in 2011 that's when mike trout debuted uh and yeah i mean ever since then it's just been insanity for this guy i mean you of course want to talk about primes 2011 to practically 2014 he was uh stats are just ridiculous so Charles, there are some other guys i also want to shout out briefly that it, it almost i almost feel like if you made a second top five so yeah. take our top fives throw them away make another top five that is almost as good as a lot of the other teams it's probably better than a lot of the other teams that we're talking about 100%. here um obviously sutton didn't make my team but he should be in that, in that second five for me don newcomb had a great uh career it was part of a very important era of dodgers history fernando mania travis fernando Ro fernando i almost said rodney fernando valenzuela <laughs> a legendary pitcher a screwball pitcher yeah, rookie um, year rookie of the year and also cy young winner so pretty incredible uh incre feat to you know yeah. accomplish your in first year incredible breakout and then travis honestly someone who already for me is catching my eye to be on this list is walker bueller yes um of course still very young and a lot to prove but the numbers really speak for themselves. He technically has pitched for five seasons. Um, there's too many good names on this list for him to be jumping them. But on a rate basis, he has been as good as a lot of them. A 140 ERA plus for his career so far. Just had his best season in 2021. So I'm sure it's only going to continue to get better. A 2.9 career ERA, Travis. And this has been a very, I'd say very offensive last five years uh, in, in baseball. So with that in mind, uh, an absolute stud, of course. Dodgers uh, have a great thing going with Walker Bueller. 
And, and, and even the trending with uh, Julio Urias. I mean, last season was awesome. 20 wins was the MLB leader and then also a great ERA. Uh, uh-huh. They got a lot of things to be looking, you know, there a lot of things to be proud of, of course. Yeah. And then we'll see with Dustin May and Gonsolin what, of course, those guys can bring to the table. But uh, it seems like always that, you know, that they're just always – they're not really rebuilding. They're more reloading. You they're know? reloading it, every year, yeah. So uh, dodging Dodgers pitching uh, – pretty remarkable for this list so um alex will now move to the ninth inning guy uh and for me there's really two names on this list that were uh the ones you really had to consider jonathan broxton how'd you uh. know yeah how did you know for me alex kenley jansen uh he is my guy i think he has 350 or 330 career saves but it's over 300 um he's on track to be you know a 400 saves guy possibly even a 500 saves guy if he can stay with uh, a team for you know the next probably six to seven years he could be that kind of guy but he is the uh, ninth inning closer for the Dodgers I think he's the best closer for the Dodgers uh, another guy had a really good prime but uh, I think Kenley barely beat him uh, just for the longevity and the amount of success for practically almost 10 years but who do you got for that spot Travis I also have Kenley Jansen um for me obviously a guy like Eric Gagne Travis incredible incredible peak couple seasons but what what Ken's been able to do for pretty much a decade has been truly, you know, we'll talk about it when the Hall of Fame time comes. But it, it's really interesting how, like, I feel like, in my opinion, closers never get enough love for the Hall of Fame. And he has had a really incredible peak. And his career lines up with Chapman, Aroldis Chapman, and uh, Craig Kimbrell very well. Like, they kind of came in at the same time. And they're still all kind of relevant in terms of not being the best in the game right now, but still pushing for these career milestones and trying to rack up the war, rack up the career saves, rack up the accolades and all that kind of stuff. Um, and Ken- and Kenley Jansen, you know, I think a lot of Dodger fans, you kind of grab on to the bad, right? Some of the bad. Yep. That's that's what happens to closers, right, Travis? Myron Rivera, you know, has blown a save in a world series game, or I think he blew a hold in a world series game. Yeah. Game seven. And you know, uh, any great pitcher, Travis, one of our favorite pitcher closers ever is for, is, uh, of course, K rod for the angels was blown holds or saves in playoffs as well. Jansen has many of the same kind of out outings. That's what happens when you're a closer. You get the hardest job and he has done a really great job. At the last you, decade. you get the field goal kicker job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you make it, you did your job. And when you miss it, everyone blames you. The whole so. duration of the game is resting on your shoulders. And can you come through, which again, um, most guys, most people, of course, are going to blame that one guy, but you know, you can always look back at maybe the last, you know, sixty minutes of the game and say, well, why don't we execute this? Why don't you do this? But you know, for baseball, why didn't you do this in the last eight innings? You had a base running mistake here in the third. All these other things that can go to gone wrong or right, but uh, it, it's a tough life. <laughs> yeah, and and Charles, a two point three seven ERA for a twelve years with the Dodgers. That says it all, and a lot of that is in prime time. A lot of postseason miles on him as well. And the craziest thing about him all, Travis, I was thinking about this. He came up as a switch hitting catcher and he became their closer from his first season. He never he never played catcher in the, in the bigs. It's crazy that I don't know how you come up as a switch hitting catcher and like I'm going to become a pitcher. No way. I'll become a closer. And then all of a sudden you're, you're talking about a guy with 350 career saves. It's really, really incredible. It's kind of like uh, with the whole Jacob DeGrom thing coming up as or, you know, a shortstop in college and being yeah. a good bat in college as well as a, uh, a lefty shortstop hitting uh, or lefty hitting shortstop. But uh, switching to the starting pitching role and again, being great, just pure dominance from Jacob DeGrom. So uh, <laughs> that, of course, really kind of sums up our Dodgers team. Uh, probably, again, the Giants and the Dodgers, two 
just uh, most you know his historical franchises in the game of baseball in the same division. Yeah. Two of the biggest rivals, of course, both both teams from New York area. Both of them, of course, moving to the West Coast almost at the same time. Kind of a just kind of a weird thing that could that could have happened, you know? Yeah, Josh, seeing this all-time Dodgers rotation go up against those outfielders and those other great bats we used to talk about for the Giants, that'd be such a fun all-time series. Of course, the rivalry is there, but just looking at the matchups, like just seeing Kershaw, Koufax, Drysdale, all these guys going up against you know Melot and uh, and Bonds and Mays would just be that would be awesome. It, it would be it's just like it's all-time kind of that would be fantasy awesome. Stuff. That'd be awesome. Uh, I'd love to see bond to take it to the cove on a Kershaw <laughs> hanger so <laughs> but anyways uh we'll move now to another team this will be the all-time Rockies Alex this I the Rockies and the Dimebacks this is where I'm going to be okay with us cheating because these are very young teams these teams are less than 30 years old Rockies came around in 93 and the Dimebacks came around like the Rays in 98 during that expansion so we'll kick it off with the Rockies Alex my all-time catcher is going to be Chris Iannetta uh not a very attractive pick he was of course an angel great but uh, had some very good seasons. I think it was either 2007 or 8. Uh, he had, it was 2008 actually, he had a uh, 895 OPS with a 125 OPS plus. Uh, extremely, extremely well for a catcher. Uh, 18 home runs uh, as well. But, you know, good season, sneaky season for Ionetta. But uh, who do you have for your catching position for the Rockies? Yeah, Travis, we agree. I also have Chris Ionetta. Um for some reason, he he always sticks in my mind as a Rocky. When he had some great peak seasons there, when I was like a young you know fan watching baseball, of course became an Angel, and that kind of might dominate your memory if you're an Angel fan. But at the end of the day, I think him as a Rocky, and he had some good peak years there. So we agree. Not a lot to pick from honestly, but for me, he was the he was the easy pick. No, you're right. It really was. Uh, it, was it was a slim list to look at for catchers, but. Ined, of course, I think he met the criteria to be on it. But we'll move now to the right side of the infield, Alex. And first base, pretty easy. Uh, the all-time war leader, that is Todd Helton, also on the Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, 61.8 career war, uh, all-time slugger, all-time doubles machine, and also uh, an average above 310 for his career, which, again, that right there suits itself as being a Hall of Famer, in my yep. opinion. So Todd Helton, easy first base pick. Second base, Actually, went with DJ LeMahieu. Uh, DJ LeMahieu, I think he had a batting title in one of the seasons with the Rockies, but uh, was a great second baseman, a great infielder with those just great Rockies infields, I feel like, in the 2010s. Uh, but LeMahieu playing with the Rockies from 2012 to 2018, a couple gold gloves, a couple all-star uh, bids, and, of course, in 2016 had a 348 batting average was the American League I'm sorry was the MLB batting champion that year uh, and also placed in the uh, 15th in the MVP voting so that is my right side Alex who do you got yeah Travis we agree again on both so it's Todd Helton is the obvious pick there's another name that I had to look at Andres Galarraga was a really great slugger in his time really kind of set the standard early in the Rockies one of their first stars but what Helton did Travis in his prime was just far too incredible yeah um, during the steroid era, he was matching some of these steroid guys' stats. He's like, all he's like, all I'm doing is hitting and hitting in the Rocky Mountains, and that, that, <laughs> that, that was all the boost he needed. He put up some crazy, crazy numbers for sure. Um, yeah, for me, I'm excited to talk about him when Hall of Fame time comes next month uh, because he has an interesting case. Larry Walker getting in a couple years back. 
probably opens the door for more Rockies to get in. Helton did play his whole career there, so maybe some voters are like, well, we never got to see him, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, for me, he's a Hall of Famer. We'll talk about that more in January. But for second base, Travis, DJ LeMahieu, we also completely agree. Many people probably know him best from the last couple years as a Yankee where he actually got like real MVP votes, but he did get 15th in MVP voting in 2016 for the Rockies. Besides that year, not a lot of great batting years in Coors, but overall, Travis, I think the glove plus a decent amount of speed, still up to 23 bags one year in Coors, um, I think it does it for me. I mean, based on the other options, I think he was kind of a slam dunk. Uh, also, just the longevity, seven good years. Overall, um, I think it's not too hard of a pick at all. The war for him is at a uh, 16.6, so nothing that's not nothing to uh, be too mad about there. Yeah, I think also even that one season being a, a uh, MLB you know batting champion, of course, was a good uh, highlight. Compare you know comparing him to other second basemen in the Rockies organization, I think it was uh, it w- it was a good pick to have him with what he did for a stellar season. Of course, being a Gold Glove guy as well so that's our right side Alex moving on to the left side I'll let you go first third base and shortstop for the Rockies okay so Travis third base I think we know who it is it has to be Nolan Arenado there's not much else to talk about um you know he's gonna go down obviously no longer a Rocky but he's gonna go down as one of their most talented players in terms of the peak um some very good consistent bag numbers I know you love him for his consistency I'll let you talk about that in a minute but Unless you got someone else, but I assume you have no one. I do, actually, yeah. Uh, But uh, obviously an elite defender and a very consistently good hitter. So he is my third baseman. Shortstop, I went with Troy Tulowitzki, Travis. Um, There are some other great upside guys. Of course, Trevor Story, who's currently currently on the team, a free agent. They said they want to re-sign him, which makes no sense to me at all. But um, at the end of the day, Travis, Troy Tulowitzki, um, had his best years in my mind with the Rockies, uh, really broke out with them, played a good 10 seasons there with a 123 OPS plus across a decade is, is very elite. Uh, three straight years where he was eight or better in MVP voting. That's obviously huge. Um, a part of some good teams and good infields, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, yeah, overall the hitting numbers are just very, very good. Even though he's in Coors, the numbers are still great, you know, over a 900 OPS plus multiple times. So as a shortstop, he's elite, so he has to be my pick. Definitely, definitely. Okay, so yeah, I'll, I'll start with the Arenado pick for me for third base. Um, yeah, one of one of his biggest fanboys right here. Yeah, uh, yeah I, he's your guy. He's my guy, along with, of course, you know, Mike Trout and a couple other people. But uh, Nolan Arenado has just been an incredible third baseman ever since he started. Um, the MLB all-time leader. Uh, I know they only started making these awards. I think it was honestly maybe ten years ago. But the all-time leader in platinum gloves. So that pretty much is saying that he is the best fielder, no matter what position you are at in that league. So five times he was the best National League Defensive Player of the Year with the glove. Five-time platinum glove winner. Nine-time Gold Glove winner at third base, and also four-time Silver Slugger. Uh, just looking at, I, I love the years from 2015 to uh, 2019. Every single year was, of course, an all-star. Every single year got top eight in MVP voting. Every single year won the gold glove. And then every single year won the Silver Slugger, except 19. That's when our man, Rendon. Tony Rendoni, uh, took away from him and won the Silver Slugger. But almost had five years of just kind of an insane prime of being so consistent with, you know, being on the MVP vote and being a serious guy in those years. And then, of course, gold gloves, silver sluggers, 
Uh, love what he was able to do in Colorado. So he is my third baseman. And then you did you have Tulowitzki at shortstop? Yes. Okay. So yeah, Tulowitzki is my guy as well. Uh, Long Beach State alum. Uh, always think about that team. Had Tulo and Evan Longoria on the left side of the Long Beach State College baseball team in That's Field Village. crazy. Which again, those guys during the 2008 to I feel like 2015 years were great performers. And that would just, I, I, I would love to be that coach. And then also Jared Weaver on the mound. Uh, what a cool team to be on with all three uh, all-star legends for uh, that. So he is my shortstop. Uh, pretty easy. I know um, Trevor Story, of course, was a guy that I had really high consideration for. He's the next man up pretty much. Right. Uh, easily the next man up. But Tulowitzki, uh, what he was able to do uh, from, you know, 2000, about 2007 all the way to about 2015 with the Rockies. Pretty remarkable. I know everyone was always comparing him. Uh, not really comparing, but they were saying, you know, will he be the guy that is going to take Jeter's spot when Jeter retires? I know Yankee fans were always so high on getting a guy like Tulo to come to New York and possibly be the next shortstop for the Yankees. Uh, had kind of a shortened career because he did have, uh, you know, some decent years in Toronto, but was really uh, a good performer on those uh, playoff teams that w were so successful in Toronto. So, uh, of course, his career got cut short. I think he yeah, played five games with the Yankees in 2019 and then called it a career. So uh, he, of course, will always be a Rocky. And uh, that is my left side of the infield, Alex. Uh, we'll now move to the outfield. And interested to see who you got on your outfield list. Uh, I'll let you go first. Sounds good. So I'm starting off my team with good old Matt Holiday. Um, obviously had some great, great, I think a really great, like, uh, postseason as well some great years with the cardinals but i think with the rockies of course we know how much he shined there uh six years as a colorado rocky with the 131 ops plus uh four straight years uh where he had a over 900 ops got second in mvp voting after a great 2007 he led the uh, national league in hits doubles rbis batting average and led all of baseball in total bases some of that is Coors, but some of that is just you're just being that good with a 151 OPS plus that year. Um, he had to be my pick. He had to be in this team for me. I also do have in center, I'll have Carlos Gonzalez, Travis. He is someone else who has had good stretches with a few teams, but when I think of him, actually, it's mostly just, you just think of Colorado, honestly. Um, batting title with them, 197 hits, which led uh, the National League in 2010. Led... Uh, let all of that MLB in total bases, just like Matt Holliday. It's kind of funny how Cora Stadium will, will let you do that sometimes. But he got third, yeah. third in MVP voting in 2010. For me, a really easy pick as well, 116 OPS+. plus. Um, there are other guys I considered for the this outfield spot, but at the end of the day, he was kind of five-tool in my mind, stole bases, played good defense. And the third pick, Travis, is Larry Walker. I saved him for last because he's my right fielder. I was getting a little scared. And, and he's he's the, <laughs> such an obvious pick. I just wanted to keep you in suspense a bit. But go ahead and tell about your three and we'll talk. Yeah, you definitely uh, – I was getting a little scared when you were not mentioning him because I was like, what are you going to say next? You know, I know you're a, 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 a Charlie I, I, Blackman guy, you know. I, so. I, I thought about Blackman for – replacement for Cargo, but I just think the, the defense and speed sets it apart. The batting is kind of comparable, but um, at the end of the day, I went with Cargo. Go ahead and tell me your three. Yeah, so uh, we have the same two. Uh, third one is different. Uh, so, of course, Matt Holliday, uh, definitely a slam dunk. Uh, those years he was able to provide for the Rockies. I think he honestly almost had a 320 batting average uh, in those seasons. He actually batted 340 
one season in 2007 and finished second in MVP and also got a silver slugger. So really good season. That season had 50 doubles, 36 homers, 137 RBIs. Uh, actually, yeah, I mean, just really, really impressive season uh, for that one. And so he, of course, gets my nod. I had Larry Walker, of course, the Hall of Famer. Great career. I still don't know why it took so long to get this guy in the Hall of Fame. His numbers were absolutely ridiculous. I know people always kind of just hated on the whole Coors effect, but then again, I ask, why'd you put a team in Colorado then? Why, yeah. Why'd you put a team in Denver if you're just going to, of course, downplay all these great performers? So uh, he's an easy slam dunk. Probably the first guy on the outfield list, of course, I wrote down. My third guy I got is going to be Andres Galarraga. And so Andres Galarraga was a first, or was a, uh, he played a little bit of first base and also played outfield for the Rockies. And so for me, I have him as the uh, third outfielder, and he had a 316 batting average and a 944 OPS with a 126 OPS plus. Uh, so Galarraga is my outfielder. Alex, of course, really like your pick. Gonzalez was a, uh, Great center fielder, great slugger, great arm. Same with Charlie Blackman. Uh, but this is my three outfitters. I'm glad, of course, Holiday Walker the same. Galarraga and all those people we can definitely, uh, you know, talk about, you know, with all with basically our debating. But that's my outfield for the Rockies. Uh, Want to move now to the starting pitching side of it? Sure. So starting pitching, Alex, this is where it gets a little bit kind of hairy with the Rockies organization because of Coors effect. So... <laughs> Okay. Yes, definitely not a free agent destination where great pitchers want to go. There's there's no question there. And a four ERA in Coors is going to be a good ERA, yep. which is it, it, pretty much right. if you're, it's almost like pitching as a three ERA kind of guy. So uh, it's it definitely was a tough list to go off of uh, to look at some of these guys. You had to do a little bit better of analysis. But uh, for my five guys, Alex, I went with uh, Ubaldo Jimenez, Herman Marquez, Aaron Cook, Jorge De La Rosa, and I think it's Chassin. Chassin yeah. is the last Chassin, name. Chassin, yeah, you're saying that right. Yeah, but I think it's a jo Chassin. Jo Julius Yassin or something like that, his name is. But those are my five guys for the Rockies all-time team. Uh, give me who you got for that starting five. Yeah, Travis, some similar names, some also some different names. Um, so starting off my team, uh, Herman Marquez has to be there. For me, Ubaldo Jimenez has to be there. Um, I actually also have Aaron Cook. I actually also have Kyle Freeland, who's a bit surprising. He's, Very good, yeah. he's of course, a, an active player. I also do have, I think it's pronounced Ulysse Chassin, according to the pronunciation. There you go. There you so go. So that sounds yeah. that sounds kind of official. Uh, <laughs> I'll be I'll be the I'll be the designated the Spanish speaker. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Travis, I think you know a couple differences, but overall, um, a lot of very similar guys. Some guys who are a standout, of course. I think actually Chassin has some very standout seasons. A one forty two ERA plus uh in 2010 but overall the innings pitched are kind of low so he was on the towards the bottom of my like starting five marquez is someone who's currently on the team and if he does not get traded he will continue probably making his case to be like their best franchise pitcher which yes. is yep. kind of surprising because he's still a young guy uh obviously an active player still um, a young guy and not even like a tr uh, like a, a great attractive name he's uh, you're right he's not like he's interesting he's not a lock all-star year in year out exactly. he's not he yeah. was last year which of course was you know good for him but um ubaldo jimenez also has to be here based on his numbers 
Um, I'll talk a bit about Freeland, I guess, because I had him and you didn't. Who did you have instead? Um, I think I had missing? Jorge De La Rosa. And my right. main thing okay. was because he is the all-time wins leader. Um, had, okay. I think, eight years with the organization. So looked at that and I thought, okay, you know, that's very good, credible. Sometimes you look at these ERAs with the Coors effect and you just got to say, you know what? I, I got to start looking at other areas as well. So, uh, yeah, he was nine years with the Rockies, a 4-3-5 ERA in those nine years. That's a 105 ERA plus, not terrible but has the all-time wins leader total at 86. Again, kind of just said 86 is your all-time career, uh, you know, wins leader. It's honestly kind of a shame that, you know, I feel like pitchers are almost not scared, but they're just so turned away to going going and playing for the Rockies because, right. you know, a guy like Jacob DeGrom is going to say, there's no way in hell I want to go play at a place where if I have, you know, um, I mean, well, if you had a two-something ERA there, that'd be probably one of the best pitching seasons of all time, possibly. So. Yeah. I saw something interesting about the Coors effect that I like learned about is obviously the ball's going to travel farther because like the air pressure or whatever, that air density and stuff. But even besides that, um, I guess like the ball just does not spin very well in the air because there's also just like less for the seams to grip and like curveballs just don't break as much. And I think yeah. a lot of people who I guess who have struggled hitting the curveball, they say that they should go to the Rockies because the curveballs are going to be a lot worse there. But Either way, Travis, I'll just briefly mention uh, Freeland, why I picked him. He had such a great 2018. It almost kind of sealed the deal for me. He has a 117 ERA plus with the team in five seasons. But in 2018, a 166 ERA plus, fourth in Cy Young voting on 202 innings pitched. Definitely a really great season. A, a 2.85 ERA in Coors is super incredible. A super great year for him. Um, definitely his career year. Uh, but still the last two seasons was above average. And so I think there's a good chance he continues to be really good. Uh, he can continue making his case and might be on your list in a few years. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And, and Freeland, like you said, is young and he is kind of, you know, just trending in the right direction. Yeah. So uh, I think a lot of these guys, you know, Cook and De La Rosa are guys that even even Hibaldo Jimenez have been guys that have pitched, you know, 10 years ago or something like that. So there could be a good new wave of Rockies pitchers that will be on this list, um, you know, in the near future. But that kind of is our starting five. It's a little... <laughs> It's a little bit. Uh, it's lackluster. It, it, it's, it's it's a little worse than the Dodgers starting five, but uh, you know, r really close. I would say. I think the Dodgers probably have like their eleven through fifteen would be very competitive with this I, team. I think but, their fourth place squad yeah. would be, you know, yeah, would all be very competitive. But uh, that pretty much sums up that. Alex, we now go to the closer for the Rockies, and I actually have an ex Angel, Brian Fuentes. Uh, he is the all time leader for the Rockies in saves, so had to go with him. Very good ERA and ERA plus at. Coors and so Brian Fuentes will be my guy for the ninth inning for the Rockies uh who do you got Travis I also have Brian Fuentes uh I agree it has to be him there are some other interesting names I looked at Houston Street also an angel but someone who when I think of him I think of Dodgers sorry I think of Rockies not Dodgers um and Brian Fuentes Travis is someone who I also think I think of him as angels just because he has such a good year with us but he of course uh his best like stretch of seasons was probably as a Rocky. I really like his Rocky numbers. Um, this was kind of a tricky one because I like, there's just so many interesting names, like someone like even Adam on I don't think he had the, in, the, the years that we like to see, but just in terms of how good a peak was, he was definitely pretty solid too. Um, even though he didn't really have the saves, but at the end of the day, Travis, um, yeah, I think, I think that, uh, Brian Fuentes is like, Probably the only guy that makes tons of sense for our criteria. And it's funny that even got like elite closers like, you know, Wade Davis and Greg Holland 
were, you know, had their time with the Rockies. They make appearances just, with the franchise, but that's it. Yeah. And, and did not really perform to what they thought it was. I, I, I'm trying to think it was, uh, it was, I think it was 2018 or 17 when the Rockies got Wade Davis. And I think they got a guy named by the name of Brian Shaw from the Indians. And Brian Shaw was very, very good in the postseason in the world series in 20, uh, 2016 was part of that huge bullpen from the Indians with Cody Allen, Andrew Miller, uh, Shaw and a couple other names, but it, he was of course a big notable name that went to the Rockies and just just, just didn't perform. Just, yeah. And so a lot the of these guys, of course, it, it's, uh, it's sad to say, but a lot of pitchers go there to die uh, and their careers kind of just take a little bit of a turn. Uh, so it, 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 of course is an unfortunate thing, but you know, uh, hitters go there to uh, flourish. So uh, that is our Colorado Rockies team. Uh, again, hopefully this of course could be a, a better list, you know, sometime in the next five years, but Alex will now move to the last team of the NL West, and that is the Arizona Diamondbacks. This team is the same age as the Tampa Bay Rays, but I will say they've had a lot more of a um, a, a lot. A lot of players have actually stuck around for more than five or six years. So there are some guys that were really easy to put on this list, but there are some guys that did not play very long uh, for this list. But you know, let's start off with the catching position, Alex. For me, I have Miguel Montero. Uh, and funny thing is Miguel Montero, I just remember him for one moment and that is, uh, he had a huge grand slam in, uh, I think it was 2017 in the NLCS against the Dodgers. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's just funny that one big moment for the Cubs, but Miguel Montero, very good numbers. Uh, you know, at least compared to other catchers for the Arizona Diamondbacks, who do you got for your catchers? Yeah, Travis, I also have Miguel Montero. Um, he had a good three or four year stretch straight with Arizona from, 09 till 2012 where he was above 100 in OPS plus so a plus hitter in terms of uh and that being a catcher is obviously really great too got actually two years with MVP votes which is kind of surprising but he had a great a great year at the plate in uh in uh, 2011 and 2012 so a good solid average good on base and also decent slugging uh, for a catcher so overall Travis he was the easy pick for me too because at nine years put the 103 OPS plus there was there was no one better for uh for the Diamondbacks definitely definitely uh moving to the right side Alex give me your first and second baseman so Travis I went uh first base for me one of the easier picks um for a lot of reasons uh someone who has definitely had an underrated start to his career because he was kind of hidden there in um he's kind of hidden there in a in a Arizona and it's Paul Goldschmidt. I think it's pretty easy. Uh, I'm not sure who might compete with him. And then second base, Travis, I went with someone who has just barely five years with the franchise. That's going to be Aaron Hill. He was kind of a utility guy, played some shortstop as well. I have him slotted in as a second baseman. Um, overall, a 108 OPS plus with the team in five years is, you know, I'd say pretty solid for a second baseman standards. But really, it was about the two peak years he had. Uh, in 2012 and 2013, uh, a 130, sorry, a 133 and then a 124 OPS plus numbers. Uh, that's pretty solid. And the first year he did get MVP votes and the silver slugger. So for me, uh, I had to go Hill, not a lot of options, but there's some utility guys in this franchise that can be kind of slotted in different spots. So yes, I'm interested to see how, what you decide here. Yeah. So first base we're spot on Paul Goldschmidt. Just, I mean, looking at the numbers, it's, it's, it's an impressive career so far. Uh, what he was able to do with the Diamondbacks, it was uh, definitely underrated guy every single season. I feel like that just did not 
get the recognition. If he was on the Yankees or the Red Sox, he would, of course, been... I think he might honestly might even have an MVP to his name, possibly. But Paul Goldschmidt, first base. Second base, I ended up going with Cattell Marte. Uh, Cattell Marte is a guy you can put in tons of different roles. You can put him in outfield. You can put him at shortstop. You can put him at second base. So I went second base for Cattell Marte. Uh, Alex, he's been kind of their face for probably the last couple of years. I think it was 2019. Uh, 2019 was pretty insane for him. Uh, what he was able to offer with everything that he was able to offer with being such a versatile bat. Uh, he's definitely the guy that was trending in the right direction. Took a little time off, uh, I guess, from the success in 2020, but I'm not going to blame him there, of course. But picked it right back up in 2021. Had a great season this year. He's my second baseman for the Diamondbacks all-time team. Uh, so moving with that, we'll go to the left side of the infield, Alex. And I'll let you start with the third base and shortstop. Cool. Starting with third base, Travis, I went with Matt Williams. This is someone who played kind of multiple positions. Um, definitely an interesting case. Uh, he has just, I don't know. I don't know why his career kind of confuses me. I don't know because I, I have this one perception of him. And I agree, then, yeah. And then some of the years, he just really kind of has below average OPS. And some years, he just goes crazy. So with the Arizona Diamondbacks, Travis, six seasons, we're looking 1998 at age 32 up until 2003 age 37 so definitely the back half of his career um there's just a couple of impressive seasons uh 100 ops plus twice so there's two different years where he was about average three years actually where he's a bit below average but then this one really good 1999 he gets third in mvp voting uh gets a 118 ops plus 35 homers 37 doubles um above 300 average um, and above 500 slugging. So overall, a very solid season there. Um, not a lot. There's some different options for third base. Interested to see what you decided. Um, some other guys I considered, but uh, a one a, a 100 OPS plus for the career in six years at Arizona is not a great number. But just for those peak seasons, plus was on the World Series winning team. Um, he gets the nod for me. Moving to shortstop, Travis, I actually have your second baseman. I have Cattell Marte. I mentioned there's some utility guys that can be slotted in different spots. He was the obvious kind of guy that I, that could be indicating. Um, Travis, so far in his career with the Diamondbacks, we're looking at five seasons, a 122, sorry, yeah, a 122 OPS plus, but really it's been 2019 and 2021 have been just all Cattell Marte, fourth in MVP, MVP voting in 19. And then this last year did not get any MVP votes because he was injured, but he was up at a 909 OPS. Uh, was definitely a premier slugger, uh, good discipline as well, um, great pop, but at the end of the day, just didn't get the games played. Um, but that was mostly in center field, so obviously he has some versatility, center field, middle infield, um, can do it all, kind of. I put him at shortstop because that's where I kind of had the hole I wanted to fill, so Cattell Marte is my, short, my shortstop. Sneaky guy for Alex's uh, fantasy team, am I right? That is exactly correct. I definitely got him in the late rounds, and he just, went, unfortunately, was not always playing, but that's okay. I can put him on the IL, replace him for a bit, and when he's ready to play, he, he went crazy. Yeah, and that's why I loved him on this list because uh, – super versatile second base shortstop outfield you know you can slide him in where maybe it's the weakest spot so um that's why i put him at second base i felt like that was the weakest spot uh so third base we actually agree matt williams matt williams cool. is my third baseman everything you said pretty much the same thing on point uh he's top 10 in majority of these offensive categories for the diamondbacks uh but for shortstop alex i went with stephen drew uh stephen drew is kind of just an interesting guy because he's He's really just not that good, but he's just, he's just, don't, all, be, don't be mean. 
I know. I'm sorry, Stephen Drew, but if you're listening, but uh, uh, two tools, number one fan right there. But uh, Stephen Drew, actually, it's just funny that he's all over like the when you look at the career batting and all these different stats, he's literally in the top 10 for Diamondbacks like all time history. Like he's number uh, number six in total bases. He's number four in doubles. He's number one in triples. Uh, so you just look at that and it's kind of just amazing to see him all over the map on all these different things. But uh, Stephen Drew, uh, definitely more known, I think, for his glove than his hitting. But I just I like the I like the triples look. I think he had uh, he actually had. Uh, yeah, he had, uh, you know, 11 triples one year, then 12 triples the next year, then another 12 triples another year. I feel like he was like playing in like the 19, uh, the yeah. 1920s Sean, to start off his, off his wheels. So uh, just a triples machine and also a doubles machine as well. Uh, you know, batting average was kind of above. I would say batting average is right near the 280 mark, but everything else on base and slugging was not going to be anything truly, truly special. Uh, but he was my guy for short. I just feel like looking at all these batting categories, I was just I kept on looking at all these lists for different people, but every every name I saw was just Steven Drew. And I was just like, this guy played everywhere. He played shortstop and second base. I'm gonna put him in my shortstop spot because I'll have Cattell at second. So that's my left side of the infield, Alex. Uh safe to say I think we can now move to outfield for the uh yeah. for the Diamondbacks. I'll go first. I'll give you my three, and then we of course will uh discuss. But for me, Alex. My three outfielders, number one, of course, uh, Luis Gonzalez. Uh, he had to be kind of like my, my number one, uh, you know, first pick for this. Uh, just an absolute stud, game-winning hit off Mariano Rivera to win the World Series. So he's an all-time Diamondback. Also the only position player uh, retired by the Diamondbacks, other than Jackie Robinson, of course. But Luis Gonzalez. Number two, I had uh, Steve Finley. Steve Finley, all-time great uh, you know, center fielder was part of the 300-300 club. So 300 home runs, 300 stolen bases. So just shows you good power and also good speed. And then the third outfielder I had, uh, I actually had our friend, Justin Upton. Uh, I know there's a couple other guys that on the war path have more powerful wars, but I, of course, wanted to showcase Steve Finley. He had some really good years with Arizona, kind of in the middle part of his career, if not the light, later part. Uh, actually, age 34 to age 39, he was with the Arizona Diamondbacks, won some gold gloves, great glove out there in the outfield. And of course, the power was very, very good, hitting 34, then 35 home runs uh, as a center fielder. So good pop there. And then Justin Upton, of course, um, he had some just really, honestly, just sneaky good seasons. I know he finished, I think, in the top three in MVP one year. But uh, after that, the career kind of went to hell. Uh, <laughs> especially his last five years but anyways uh you know arizona he had uh 2011 he actually finished in the top four of the silver slugger but that year he just about had a 900 ops also in 2009 he had a uh, 899 ops or um, yeah 899 ops ops plus is very very good those two years um so he is my arizona guy so it's luis gonzalez steve finley justin upton uh who do you got so charis um, I love the I love the JF comments there. Uh, very, I just, um, just got to get my frustration out. Very now, on so, point. Yeah. Um, Travis, my outfield also begins with Luis Gonzalez. Has to be here. Has some of the best peak seasons. If you're talking about a position player on the Diamondbacks, in terms of MVP consideration, um, in terms of home runs, obviously he's high on the list. Um, in the middle of the steroid era, he was hitting like 50 bombs. So, um, definitely there's tons of credit there. Uh, has to be on this team. Also in my outfield, Travis, I also agree. Steve Finley is in my outfit for this team. The war is very good. Um, like you said, very all-around kind of guy. 
in terms of he had the speed, he had some defense, he had um, some great hitting as well during some peak years. Was a part of the team that won it all, which is bonus points. Travis, my third guy is going to be different, though, than J-Up. I actually went with um, A.J. Pollock. So uh, I didn't think I'd have him, but he's actually very high, like you mentioned, on the Diamondbacks leaderboard for war. Um, besides that, had back-to-back really solid seasons in 14 and 15. That's 2014-2015 with a, over a 130 OPS in back-to-back years. Um, had some great defense. Was actually playing more center field. Um, now, as a Dodger, he's a left fielder primarily, but definitely a better glove when, back when he was uh, in Arizona. And Travis, I'll also add that I think the only knock on him really is some of the games played are not that great um, for some of these seasons. But if you look at his war per um, 650 plate appearances, it's actually surprisingly good. I think it's actually better than both Finley and Upton. So if you look at his war per 650 PAs, it's 4.8. So even though he was getting, you know, not playing full seasons, if you do make all all his whole Diamax career into one like full season, he'd be getting about 4.8 war. So that alone kind of tells you he was kind of sneaky good. Um, I like his numbers a lot, so he gets my spot. I see the appeal of J-Up. I almost did have him. I think J-Up has more pop and probably some better complete seasons. But on a rate basis, I think Pollock was just a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I mean, I see the appeal for both for sure. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I, Justin Upton was, of course, my wild card. also want to give a shout out to David Peralta. David Peralta was a very also to consider uh, him. A, a tough pick to also ignore. Uh, you know, been a Diamondback his entire career, started in 2014. Has a gold glove and a silver slugger to his name. But uh, again, also some very good seasons, a 111 OPS plus. Uh, one, of course, the longest tenure guys for the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, on their entire outfield resume, pretty much. So David Peralta was a guy I had to, of course, include. He has had some very good season, you know, almost almost a 290 batting average hitter. So uh, that rounds out our outfield, Alex. We will now move to the uh, the starting pitching and and honestly, uh, a pretty fun starting pitching staff for the Diamondbacks. Uh, kind of crazy that they've been around for less than 25 years, but their starting pitching is possibly it, better. It's all time stuff. Then it's it's probably better than honestly you could say 10 teams we've already covered. So and yeah, we're talking about teams that have been around for a hundred years. Hundred years, exactly. So, uh, for me, Alex, for the five people, uh, five guys, three of them are really easy. Uh, Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, Brandon Webb. Brandon Webb has actually has one of the best, uh, one of the top ERA pluses of all time, which is just kind of insane to look at. Almost a one fifty career ERA plus. So retired kind of early. Yeah, and he had a three year prime that was spectacular. So those are my three guys. Fourth guy I have is Zach Granke. Zach Granke, of course, leaving the Dodgers, going to Arizona. Uh, I think it was either four or five seasons he might have pitched for the Diamondbacks, but still had very good seasons in Arizona. Uh, not as good as they were in Dodger blue, but of course had some very, very good seasons there. And then last guy I have is Dan Heron. I think Dan Heron might have only pitched uh, three seasons in Arizona. And this is where I kind of had to bend the rules a little bit. But those three years, very, very good. Uh, a three five six ERA, a 125 ERA plus. Uh, very, very good, of course. Uh, and, you know, just being a uh, complete workhorse, too, with all the innings pitched. Um, almost 600, 600 innings pitched almost in three years. So you're looking at almost every year 200 inning pitch guy. Uh, who do you have for your five guys? Yeah, Travis, um, I'm glad we're on the same page about 
including some guys with below the five years played threshold because it would suck to leave some of these guys off. Schilling only four years pitched with the team. Greggy, <laughs> that think, would be a slap in the face. <laughs> yeah, and, and obviously four four of some of the best pitching seasons. He actually has three second place finishes in Cy Young voting. One of those actually is with Boston, but in back-to-back years with second Cy Young voting in Arizona. To a guy named Randy. Um, <laughs> right, who is, of course, my number, number one on the list. So I'm going to go Randy, one. Schilling is on my list. Webb is on my list. Same top three. Granke as well. And Heron, five yep. for five the same. Um, I think it was a pretty easy five to make because all those guys had super good primes. Half our half of our over half our starters were on the team for less than our threshold, but I'm glad we came to agreement because leaving those guys off just wouldn't it wouldn't be right. There's yeah. not enough other guys with five five years pitched that are better than these guys. Um, yeah, Heron Travis definitely sneaky good. Um, became an angel. I have some fond memories of him um, in Angels uh, in in Anaheim, but at the end of the day, I think he had also some of his best seasons in Arizona. Um, I like what you said about everyone. I think the one thing that's kind of interesting I'll say is Randy Johnson, definitely one of the best pitchers of all time, probably a top five pitcher of all time. Pretty hard to dispute that. Uh, definitely has a case to be like the best lefty ever. He's in that, in that conversation. Um, his three, sorry, his four peak season stretch is for sure, uh, 1999 to 2002 with Arizona, even though he has way more seasons pitched or two more seasons pitched in Seattle. Arizona was his prime for sure. Um, the ERA numbers are incredible. The ERA plus, it's it's four straight years, and the lowest is 181 ERA plus. So it just kind of shows he was at like MVP level pitching for four straight seasons. So with that in mind, Travis, he had to be uh, the ace of my team. Uh, and, and, and what's crazy to see is that this all started at age 35. I mean, <laughs> it makes no sense. I, I just, it's funny that you see pitchers, honestly, they're, they're the kind of guys that are able to still be dominant after 35. You look at hitters, you look at our pools. It's just, it's just not the case. Things, things fall off the back end, but then, Travis, again, then again, he's 45. So, uh, you know, a little bit of a different case there, but. And, and Charles, what I will say about Randy and all those four seasons I mentioned about 250 innings pitched or higher in four straight years. Who does that in the modern era? I really you don't see it that much often anymore. You might never see it again, honestly, based on the way you know managers are pulling pitchers earlier and earlier in games. But Randy, truly an all-time great, um, had to give him some extra love. Um, also in those four uh, Cy Young years, four straight Cy Youngs, also four straight uh, times leading baseball in strikeouts, 372 strikeouts in 2001. He's like doubling what guys are doing today. It, it's just really, really crazy numbers. Um, might never see a number that high again unless they do some more tricky stuff with a baseball or something. Maybe they give a spire attack back, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, Travis, one of the best peaks of all time had to be uh, getting, given a special shout out. Yeah, and I mean, I have I, you look at his numbers. I mean, I urge you guys all. This is one guy you want to look at his baseball reference page. Um, it is, it's, it's pretty just insane. I mean, it's kind of funny that he started at age 24, and you really didn't hear about Randy Johnson until really 1993 with the Mariners, and then he got second place in Cy Young that year, got first place two years later in 1995 uh, for the Mariners, and then, of course, uh, played the remaining years, of course, with Seattle, played a short stint half a season with Houston, and then signed with the Diamondbacks, and that's where he just became the dominating guy. And that's where he, honestly, it'll be fun to talk about later on for the all-National League team, all-MLB team. He's a guy, of course, whose name will be definitely in high consideration. But uh, again, also glad we brought Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling was, again, one of his best primes was right there. And of course, uh, I mean, 
I, I really can't imagine what it's like to have your number one and number two in your rotation finishing in the top two of Cy Young voting. It's just kind of like how, back to how, back. how lucky are you guys? And they're going against a mythical creature in Barry Bonds in the same division. So uh, pretty, pretty unique to look at that as well. So um, that rounds out our starting pitching. Alex, we'll now move to the closing role for the uh, for the Diamondbacks. And I'll let you go first. Give me who you got, and I'll have my rebuttal. Cool. Sounds good. So for the closing pitcher for Arizona, um, there was a few different options, different ways you wanted to go with it, but I went with Byung-Hyun Kim. Okay. So I went with their closer during their championship run. Um, overall, I don't think he has like the best ERA plus, definitely not the most saves yeah. in terms of um, in terms of you know Diamondbacks history. But I think his peak numbers with the team were impressive enough for me uh, to get the nod. A really good 159 ERA plus in 2001. Next year in 2002, he becomes an All Star with a 223 ERA plus. Um, that's an 84 innings pitch. So a really great back-to-back year stretch, both years under a three ERA. The second year in, in 02 was a 2.04 ERA. Both seasons over 80 innings pitch. So getting a good workload too. Um, the save numbers, the saves numbers aren't crazy high, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, run prevention in a relief role for me is what I really cared about uh, more so than the save total um, for this exercise. So Travis, um, this guy also pitched six years with the team, so he meets that threshold, which I'm, I'm happy about. Uh, so go ahead and tell me who you got, and we'll, we'll talk. Yeah, so I have the guy actually right behind him in saves. Uh, I have Brad Ziegler. Uh, for Brad Ziegler, kind of a – his name, of course, has always floated around. Um, you know, I feel like the past 10 years, he's been on just so many different teams, uh, actually playing with Arizona, Oakland, Miami, and also Boston. But seven years with the Diamondbacks, uh, a 2.57 ERA in those seven years uh, – a 157 ERA plus, uh, and of course, 62 saves. So I think he ranks top either five or six all time for the saves total. But uh, just r- really honestly sneaky stuff that you don't really realize until you look at the stats and you, you know, oh, oh my goodness, you know, the, what, what this guy was able to provide for the Diamondbacks, you know, in the early part of the 2010s. Uh, really, really extraordinary. So uh, like him a lot with all the uh also the basic stats as well as the advanced stats. Uh, and also I think he has, it was a sidearm kind of pitcher. So a very interesting angle that hitters had to pick up when they had to face him. So uh, Ziegler is my guy for the all-time ninth inning role. But of course there's guys like, you know, Jose Valverde who have the most saves of all time in Diamondbacks uh, history. But I just feel like when there's guys that don't even have a hundred saves as your all-time leader, it kind of opens the door. I feel like for a lot of other guys that maybe have, you know, a l- little bit of, of course, less saves, but have better numbers. Um, I feel that way for the Diamondbacks because the the, the saves leaders for this team. Um, they don't have the best necessarily relief no, careers. Exactly. Not a lot of high-powered guys. So uh, you want to make sure you are looking at the, uh, at, at, of course, the, the best kind of, you know, prime slash, you know, who just had some of these crazy advanced stat number seasons or, uh, you know, four-year span. So Brad Ziegler is my guy. Uh, cool. Yeah. I mean, that pretty much wraps up the franchise team, right? Yep. Now all we can, the Diamondbacks. we can move on to our National League West all time team, combining the five teams we just discussed, making our best versions of that team. Uh, Travis, we'll start with catcher like always. You want to go first? Yeah. So this, of course, was uh, between two guys uh, Piazza, Posey. Um, really stopped to think about this one a lot because uh you know you have a guy like posey who wins an mvp is a just a winner uh gold gloves silver slugger just all these awards batting titles 
Um, but I just couldn't uh, leave off what Piazza did offensively for yeah. the Dodgers. I know, of course, I consider him a Met, also at the Hall of Fame being a Met, had a really good years with the Mets. But what he was able to do in those years with the Dodgers, the hitting is just, it, 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 it's it's almost first base-like. It's almost a first baseman playing catcher. Uh, An MVP first baseman. Exactly, exactly. So Piazza, for me, had to be the catcher on this squad. Uh, Posey, just a smidge behind him, I think. Um, with what he was able to do this season was just a crazy rebound. It's really funny if he didn't, let's just say he retired after 2020. Let's just say he sat out 2020, did not play in 2021, just said, I'm done. It's over. It'd be kind of a weird way to end his career because he was somewhat on the trending of downwards the last couple seasons before 2020. He definitely was a name that was fading, but I feel like in 2021, that really, his name really got brought back into the mix. But for me, Piazza had to be the guy for catcher. Uh, interesting to you, you got. Yeah, Travis. So in a way, we agree. I also went with my Dodgers catcher. I went with Roy Campanella. Um, honestly, lots of comparisons can be drawn between him and Posey. Uh, Campanella played 10 years with the Dodgers, which was, that was his entirety of his career in the National League, so pretty much the, the non-Negro League uh, years. Um, but three MVPs does trump the one by Posey, but that's not really what I'm too worked up about. I just think overall... Um, we saw a really good stretch of, of 10 seasons from Campanella on an all-time great team. Posey, very similar, had a really Hall of Fame kind of, you know, 12 years with the Giants on some very impressive teams. I think they're very comparable in terms of the, the, the numbers that they put up. I just lean towards Campanella just because, um, you know, he had to, he didn't get to start until a full season until he was 27 because of the Negro League stuff. So um, because of that, I think that his numbers, his career numbers could be a bit higher if he just had the chance to play his full career in uh in the in for the Dodgers. So at the end of the day, I think it's really close. Um I also like that you went with your Dodgers catcher. Um Posey an all-time great in my mind, but just didn't quite uh edge out Campanella for me. So I went with Campanella for my catcher. Probably a good move to first base now, Travis. Um I'll start us off right side. Uh Willie McCovey is my first baseman. Jackie Robinson is my second baseman. Tell me about who you got, and we'll, we'll, we'll discuss. Second base is the same, first base different. Jackie, of course, second baseman, uh, all-timer. First base, Alex, I went with Todd Helton. Uh, I am a just – I think looking at the stats of Todd Helton, I'm a big fan of what he was able to do. I think looking at, you know, starting off even like nine, in, in the year 2000, you know, 372 average that led baseball, a 463 on base that led the NL, slugging almost 700, led all of MLB, and then a 1.162 OPS led all of MLB. This is, of course, the year we had Giambi, you had Bonds, you had A Rod, you had so many great hitters, and he was able to lead the MLB in doubles, RBIs, average slugging, OPS, and also total bases. I just feel like it's a season that. Uh, not many people know about and what Helton was able to do was just honestly just insanely remarkable so I have him at first base also being of course a little bit of a a, a better defender than McCovey looking at back at McCovey's uh, overall uh, defensive war it's I think in the negatives so of course that's going to hold him back a little bit uh, with of course the DH spot opening up in this round of our uh, conversation uh, might have him somewhere else down the line. But for me, Helton is first base and Jackie Robinson is second base. Uh, and then we'll move to the left side of the infield. I'll let you go first. Uh, cool. Oh, actually, real quick, I'm going to just kind of make a case for McCovey. I mean, you said you might have him later on, but I just yeah. want to make a case since we kind of talked about that. Um, 
I have McCovey over Helton personally just because of the bat. Um, three straight years of leading baseball in OPS+. Plus. Uh, I like his OPS plus better than Helton. Um, yeah, 150, correct? Yeah, it's 147, yeah. which well, is just okay. Okay. Com- completely... I think all- it's 150 with the Giants. Yeah, that's probably yeah. correct. Yeah, that is correct, 150 with the Giants. Um, and then for the for the Giants in 19 years, had a war of... Let me get this right. Uh, almost a 60 war with the Giants. So um, Helton, there's plenty of good arguments for him. Um, we'll, we'll discuss when we get that DH spot that you mentioned. So um, for now, moving on to the left side of the infield. Um, so... Third base, I'm going with Nolan Arenado. I think that right now he gets the nod. The GOAT. Um, it's hard to see the case for anyone else. I, I, in my mind, kind of a weak third base overall. I think the, the main competition was Justin Turner, which is kind of yeah, funny how yeah. these are the two guys that were I was kind of wrestling with for the spot. And between those two, it has to go with Nolan. Of course, um, had a really great prime in Colorado. And the defense, the batting, it all kind of combines to make him the easy pick. Shortstop Travis, moving on. Uh, Pee-wee Reese was my pick. Um, the main reason is the war, uh, the career war, consistently putting up really good war numbers. Like we keep saying, the batting was not amazing. Uh, some of the peak seasons are okay, but uh, overall it's a 99 OPS plus on the career. But the Hall of Fame status, the war, the uh, winning teams, being a winning player, you know, if, if you care about that. Um, and then also like the defense, the, the speed, um, all combines to be a viable player for the team for sure. Travis, I will say, I really want to put Tatis. He's played. He's played. He's played three seasons. When he hits his fifth season, he is automatically on this team. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't yep. put him because um, Tatis's career war is still like in the teens, whereas yeah. Pee Wee is up in. The, I think it's the sixties. Have to double check, yeah, but yeah. just thinking about that alone, um, it's pretty unfair to someone like Pee Wee who had a Hall of Fame career to already knock him off, but. If you're just saying who's the better player for a series, yeah. Tatis is such an easy pick. But yeah. please go ahead and tell me your left side. We'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah, it's the same exact one you said, Arenado, Peewee. Um, and I was going to say the exact same thing with Tatis. You know, if we, you know, it, 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 in two years when he's on, you know, when he's got to accomplish his fifth year and we can put him onto this kind of this, this same rule that we're doing right now, he honestly is probably going to be my shortstop with what he provides. Five tools, Alex. I mean, it's, I feel like it's Manny Ramirez playing shortstop with a great glove, you know, yeah. some, something along those lines, I yeah. feel like. But what he's able to do so far through his career is just truly remarkable. But you're right. Pee Wee Reese, you can't really forget about him being such a great defensive guy. Uh, and, of course, being on a champion team many, many times. Uh, Pee Wee has to be the guy for shortstop. And then, of course, uh, Nolan Arenado right now at third base. Seems like this team's infield is uh, very good at defense, <laughs> I would say, because uh, Robinson can definitely bring the glove as well as Arenado and Pee Wee Reese. So, uh, of course, a really good uh, defensive infield so far. But um, that kind of sums up anything with that. Anything else you want to add with the infield? That pretty much sums it up. Uh, everyone kind of deserves their spot, but there are some hungry guys coming up, I'm sure. Most definitely, Alex. And for the outfield, I will go first. Um, Alex, it's all Giants. Uh, it's Mel Ott. It's Barry Bonds. It's Willie Mays. They are all uh, 100%, I think, locks for those spots. Only player you can maybe make a really good case for is, you know, like a guy like Duke Snyder and Tony Gwynn that probably missed the cup, you know. But with... The one guy I could see maybe leaving off would be Mel Ott, but 110 war and what he was able to provide, it's too good. I mean, it it is immortal uh, type players. So 
Ott, Mays, Bonds, all Giants. Alex, who do you got for your outfield? Yeah, so I start off uh, the same with Bonds and Mays. I actually go someone different in right field. Ott maybe might be somewhere else on my team. I go with Larry Walker. Interesting. So Larry okay. Walker, just being the five-tool player, um, will help the defense of my team. So you kind of you did your DH thing. We'll talk about actually. Let's go DH right now so we can talk about okay. it all. Okay. So my DH is going to be Mel Ott. Who okay. do you got? And that's where I have Willie McCovey. Right. Okay. So we both kind of made put a guy at DH to allow us to have a good fielder in kind of spot of them. So I'm having Larry Walker be my right fielder, great defense. So Mel Ott can be my DH. I like the way I kind of arranged that personally. Um, at the end of the day, Bonds, Mays, Walker, Ott, my four guys, all Hall of Famers, all legends with you know legendary careers and just great peak numbers. Um, happy with all those picks. Tell me about – so I, I guess the real difference we have – Is Helton and Walker. Is Helton and Walker. So Rockies. the two Rockies. So <laughs> I went with the guy who was you know a great defensive right fielder. You went with the guy who is you know currently currently on the ballot. Maybe he could even get in the, in the Hall of Fame in less years than Walker because Walker took 10 years, of course, but – Overall, I think I like the Walker pick a lot for me. Go ahead and talk to me about, I guess, your mindset building that DH spot and how you decided that. Yeah, of course, I was never going to leave McCovey off. Um, right. He, he's just too much of an iconic name. There's a there's a cove named after him. Uh, yeah. And so you can't leave the guy off, especially when you hit 500-plus home runs. And, like, you look at the numbers, OPS numbers, and also OPS-plus numbers are just elite. Uh, of course, the glove, the fielding is probably some area that, of course, would need more improvement. That's why, of course, I wanted to go Helton. Uh, for that spot again like i just spoke with helton um 316 career batting average i think it's honestly about 30 to 40 uh points higher than mccovey's career batting average and then of course good home runs about 370 home runs almost 3,000 hits he had 25 uh 19 but also looking at the doubles 592 doubles uh just i i think a really remarkable career when you look at the extra base hits for him uh it, it is it is truly awesome to see and then of course the you know the percentage stats of 414 on base that's hall of fame numbers right there 539 slugging with a 953 ops um i i look at him and i just you know again it, it's taken people so long and i see some people post their ballots on twitter and they do not have this guy circled and i i kind of just you know Shake i don't your head. I, I i don't want to i they're, they're definitely of course looking at a coors effect but at the same time um I think we have to put that a little behind us when we look at some of these guys and what they're able to do. Uh, you know, I think it's definitely going to affect your hitting, but when you're batting 372, you can even knock off maybe 25 points if you move them to another area and you're still hitting, you know, 348. And so uh, still a remarkable player. And of course, winning some gold gloves, uh, wanted him to be my defensive first baseman. So that's why, of course, I have McCovey at DH spot. But um, for you, Alex, basically with walker taping kind of through the mindset was it basically just deep all around of course good outfielder yeah i think i just liked you know i i, I first i did have ott uh in right field and then i realized we have a dh availability yes. and so i said who's my next best player that i left off and for me that was larry walker so i said i could very easily put him in my right field Ott can become my dh i like that a lot my outfield now becomes if you're talking about pre-steroid bonds Mays Walker probably could be a case for the best defensive outfit that ever would have been um, on this uh, all NL West team. But at the end of the day, Travis, yeah, I think the peak years are great in Colorado for uh, for Walker. A 147 OPS plus in 10 years as a Colorado Rocky. So in terms of his NL West numbers, uh, definitely cream of the crop. The best years he's ever had. Um, for me, I had the, I, I 
he at first was going to left off, but I managed to find a way to get one more guy on, and he was the easy pick for me personally. Um, that pretty much wraps up position players. Yeah, yeah, that wraps all of the position players for um, that. Actually, we do have to cover our three bench spots players. Oh, you're right, you're right. Um, I'll do, go first. Do the honors. Basically, uh, for me, you know, I, I really... <laughs> This guy's numbers really surprised me, and I had to keep him on the list. He was definitely in high consideration for first base, and that's Paul Goldschmidt. Um, tons of gold gloves. A great fielding first baseman. I really like that. And then, of course, the numbers. Tons of silver sluggers. Um, it's crazy that he had three years in 13 and also 2015. In a three-year span, finished twice in the top two for MVP did mm-hmm. not win it does not have an MVP to his name but he has of course a bunch of top three finishes for the MVP in Arizona and of course was just like kept away from the world I feel like in Arizona which uh it, you know it, you know you, some markets are not going to be as big as the New York Yankees of course but uh just of course a really really nice career uh 142 OPS plus that's of course better than Helton and a little bit lower than McCovey but of course I think the fielding definitely helps and makes up for it so he was a guy on my bench also, Duke Snyder, one, of course, include him, iconic name. Uh, and then the last guy, of course, Tony Gwynn. Um, just like Barry Bonds, Alex, I think Tony Gwynn has some stats or some really interesting trivia that is just kind of stupid when you think about it. I know there's a couple of them where they talk about walks and strikeouts in a season. They talk about just what a pure good hitter he was. I think it was honestly something about like he's had – more 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 walks or more something than than swing and misses it was almost like right it, it was just something insanity for tony gwynn the guy was just a pure contact machine i, I think i saw something on twitter he has like more three hit games than he has two strikeout games just stuff like that yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah i i, I think uh, i'll go to go with my bench same three snyder gwynn and goldschmidt um i'll explain the reasoning snyder i think just too good of a hitter he's like the left-handed bat off the bench uh, gonna be a great you know pinch hitter and good fielder too all around the war he, he deserves to be in this team in some way Gwen I have included mainly because he has a lot of unique skill sets I think are good off the bench he yes. has good speed great defensive player so he could be a good sub and if I need someone to go up there in a spot where there just can't be a strikeout then he's the best player of all time to be exactly. in that spot so he makes my team for that reason um, even though I think there are some better hitters in terms of like who do I want uh, to you know get uh extra base hit or something or get on base right now there's other better options i like gwen's skill set a lot um and then my last pick is goldschmidt so travis that means i'm leaving off helton and the only reason why i'm doing that is because i don't want three lefties on the bench i think it didn't make sense to me you know having helton gwen and snyder it's like i need a big righty that can mash against lefties so i went with goldschmidt as my third bench spot which in my mind makes a lot of sense. You even mentioned yourself better OPS plus than Helton. I think Helton has definitely the better career, probably when it's all said and done. We'll see what Goldschmidt, you know, no longer in the in the division, so not adding to his resume there. But um, Travis, I think Goldschmidt off the bench to pinch it against lefties. You know, I, I like thinking about it a little bit, like a little bit layer deeper. Like how would I? No, it's fun to do it. Yeah. How would I use these bench players? And so everyone has a kind of a role on my bench. Um, so yeah, uh, I think I'm happy with my team position player wise. Moving on to starting pitching, Travis. I'll go ahead and go first. Um, so many options here. There really are too many options to a consider. A lot of good options. A lot of really, like we already said, the Dodgers are really deep. The Giants are really deep. The Diamondbacks were really deep. Um, I'll start off. My 1A is going to be Randy. I think Randy was too good as a Diamondback, so he has to be my headliner on the team. And Matthewson, all-time great Giants pitcher. Dead ball era, but the, even the era-adjusted numbers are super, super impressive. Inner Circle Hall of Famer. 
Next two, two Dodgers, Kershaw and Koufax both make my team. Uh, Koufax, one of the best peaks ever. Kershaw, just an all-time great. I think he ties with DeGrom. They're about tied. I'm not sure who's leading at this exact moment, but they're about tied for uh, all-time ERA plus for starting pitchers, I believe, at about 150. For, that's for, for a career number. Um, and then my fifth spot, I ended up going with Carl Hubble, uh, a great Giants pitcher from a kind of a, a kind of a forgotten era, but I love his numbers a lot. So, Travis, go ahead and tell about your five, and then we'll, we'll go back and forth. So, same four. Uh, we go with Christy, Randy, Kershaw, Koufax. Um, just... <laughs> You, you really, I mean, you can't say much about that. Talking group. about five all time greats. There's yeah, no, there's yeah. a, are they those four all time greats. You want to talk about good ERAs? I mean, go look at, you know, Christie, Kershaw, Koufax. I mean, they are literally all time greats. I think, honestly, all of them have ERAs in the twos. I think, you know, Matthewson with, a, I think, a 2.13 career ERA. And then, of course, Kershaw and Koufax, uh, I think, somewhere in the 2827 two, range for uh, career ERAs. And then, of course, Randy. Um, what can you say about Randy, which is, you know, the prime that he had, but fifth guy, Alex, I actually went ahead and went with Juan Marichal, um, Juan Marichal, 14 years with the giants, uh, looking at from 1960 to 1973 and no, no, you know, no Cy Young wins got a lot of, of course, MVP nods for those seasons. But I think I just liked the whole entire general of, you know, 125 ERA plus, uh, a two eight four ERA in that span. Um, you know some of the pitches that he threw. I think he threw like one of like the most like wicked like screwballs of all time, uh, and just had a crazy pitch repertoire. Um, I really like that, and I think I, I just like him being. Uh, you know, I think mo- most recently one of the you know biggest you know pitching names from the Giants of all time. When you look at like all time Giants players, Marichal has to of course be on that like headline. So for me, Marichal is the last guy. Uh, talk me through kind of with, with Carl Hubble and your pick. Yeah, so he was my fifth spot for you know several reasons, but he has two MVPs, which is like a great plus. It's not what I'm going to base everything off of, but it's it's good that he got the recognition from those writers at the time. In between the two MVPs, he had a ninth place finish, a sixth place finish, and then after the last MVP, a third place finish. So five straight years being top 10 in MVP voting. So his prime was really respected. Um, in those years, he had a 1.66 ERA one year, and then uh, two more years in the twos for ERA. And we're talking about like early mid 30s. This is a peak Gehrig. This is peak, um, you know, Jimmy Fox. Who guys in the American League, of course, but National League. His own teammate Mel Ott is setting records for National League home runs yeah. um, in a season and, and for career and all that kind of good stuff. So, um, Travis, I think I just really like um, what he did in that kind of era that was really. It was a really good offensive era for baseball, and he still put up some crazy numbers. Led uh, the National League in ERA plus three times, one time up at a 193, which is just uh, talking about an all-time great season um, in 1933. So uh, a 130 ERA plus on the career with the Giants. It's a tick above Marischal, but when you're comparing different eras, Marischal can easily get the nod if you care about you know being in a more modern era. Definitely after the... Uh, the uh, what do you call it? the integration after you know yep. African-American players are in the league now Hubble does not have that advantage um yeah but- and even looking at two very very similar like ERAs and almost ERA pluses it's like funny that Marichal has the lower ERA just by a smidge but of course uh a little bit lower ERA plus which is a little worse but then you look at Carl Hubble a higher ERA but a, but uh also you know a higher ERA plus which is better but um yeah, it, it, it's funny you look at that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's funny when you look at Marichal and, and the teams that he was on with, you know, he had McCovey and Mays with him. And, you know, 
it's funny how you have just these super teams, and they st- they were not able to bring a championship to San Francisco at the time. So uh, really kind of unique with all these great legends on the same team. Another kind of cool factor that I just realized in that 33 MVP season for Hubble, when he had that 193 ERA plus one of you know his best season, one of the best seasons from from the time, of course. That's also the year that the uh, New York Giants won a World Series. So I'm sure he gets tons of you know credit for that. And yep. Obviously, it's a really big part. Being the MVP and then going and winning the World Series is probably a huge deal. Um, yeah, overall, I, I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of good things about both picks. Travis, I'm just now for the first time seeing how he performed in that World Series. So he is age 30, 1933. He had a zero ERA in two starts, 20 innings, no earned runs. That is wow. super impressive. Wow. Actually, three runs allowed, but I guess all unearned. Um, must have been some bad defenders out there. Maybe Ott bubbled the, uh, a can of corn. But uh, 15 Ks in those 20 innings. Um, obviously, a really great performance from him there. Travis, uh, that pretty much wraps. Oh, no. I'm forgetting. Of course. <laughs> our bullpen. The primetime closers right here. Yep. So, Travis, um, I'll go ahead and start us. Uh, my closing pitcher is going to be uh, Trevor Hoffman just in terms of the career accolades, the save title that he had for a good amount of time. He has to be here. Um, So he makes my list. Uh, Kenley Jansen, Travis, I also have. I think that uh, the career he's accumulating already at 350 saves is such a huge deal. Um, The numbers for themselves, we kind of already discussed him. And my third pick is going to be Gagne. So double dipping with the Dodgers. Um, That's mainly for the two peak seasons he had, which were really, really good. I will say, Travis, I really was looking at Heath Bell for the third spot because the fact that Gagne, for those that don't know, he was a starting pitcher for the first couple of years with the Dodgers. Then he had two really great, great, all-time awesome seasons. And then he kind of fell off. Um, and then Heath Bell, I almost went with Travis. Um, also because Gagne has like some steroid like links, I guess. But Heath Bell, I don't know anything about him really in terms of maybe he's a steroid too. I have no idea. Don't want to throw him in that conversation, but... I'm not going to leave some guy off just because I don't know about the other guys. So at the end of the day, my three were Hoffman, Jansen, Gagne. Tell me about who you got, Travis. Yeah, and Heath Bell, I think one of the most iconic moments is him coming in for the uh, All-Star game and just this this just massive, I'm probably 280-pound dude is just sprinting down the field like a wide receiver, and then he comes in and slides at the pitcher's mound. And I remember everyone was just kind of like laughing because he was just like, huffing and puffing on the mound and he they he could not catch his breath right uh and everyone was just it was funny because it was an all-star game it's not like it's a big high leverage situation but uh heath bell is definitely a good guy to put out there but alex we had the same we had the same, same three. three hoffman at the closing position and then of course kenley and gagne um gagne of course like you said you know, i think it was 2002 to 2004 um i mean these are just elite numbers. I think he had the record. He might still have the record, I think, for the most consecutive saves without – or most consecutive games without a, without a blown save. Right. I think he does have that. Yep. So, of course, uh, he, of course, put on some insane performances. You know, 197 ERA in 02, 1.20 in 03, and then 04 is a 2.19 uh, ERA those years. And then even in 2015 – only played 15 games that year, but I think he had some uh, dealt with, of course, some more injuries. And then, of course, was uh, not really pitching too much after that. And then he went to Texas, went to Boston, went to Milwaukee. Just kind of a interesting way he finished his career out. But, uh, yeah, that would be just that to me would be very, very, very locked down right there uh, to finish out games for, you know, this squad. But, um, yeah, anything else you want to add with the NL West? I pretty much wrapped everything up, Travis. That was... 
a lot a lot of all-time great legends in that uh in that division next up is going to be the nl central we'll record that uh later on probably next week um so you know be looking out for that uh be looking out for these two hour long episodes people i know yeah they're they're gonna keep coming for the next couple weeks but so that wraps up this episode um completely uh next yeah next week like i said nl central coming up all-time team uh for those franchises and for the division as a whole uh if you made it this far thank you so much uh be very surprising because we're getting to these well over two hour episodes but um at the end of the day we appreciate it all the listeners um go ahead and let us know what you think about these lists maybe you're upset about a certain snub or something like that maybe you think steven drew should be on the all-time nl west team like i thought so yeah yeah if you think that then please let us know hit us up on twitter (laughs) or uh obviously give us a follow on spotify wherever you may listen so appreciate the support and we'll talk to you guys next week presented by tool tools podcast (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.